You are listening to Soul Stream coming to you live from the mighty Sierra Nevada range here in Northern California. I am your host, John Almada. Good to be here from the haunted Broken Tree Ranch. Yes, I live on a haunted gold mine out here in the lower foothills of the Sierra Nevadas where the skies are beautiful and the gold is plenty and the ghosts are everywhere. Yes, we have ghosts all over this place. As a matter of fact, I got one when I was recording the other day during my big circle EVP work. All right, we'll bring that down, bring back the thunder. And uh, I got my glasses off so I could just see stuff happening on the screen, but I can't see. I got to get contacts. I really do. <laughs> I hate wearing the glasses when I'm on screen with you guys. I don't know why. It's just kind of, it just, it just don't like it. Anyway, let's bring up that. There we go. Okay, we're going to do a little housekeeping and then uh, I'll, t- but uh, first I will talk about Michael Esposito, our, uh, our guest tonight. He was uh, gracious enough to do an interview uh, one day ahead of time. Uh, he is at work right now as we speak. So, Michael, uh, if you are listening, you know, kudos to you, my friend. Really enjoyed our interview last night. I recorded the whole thing and uh, remastered everything this morning. Uh, took about two hours to get that all audio all cleaned up for you guys. So we're going to be playing that. Um, I'm going to read a little bit about him uh, shortly, but a little housekeeping. Um, we've got... Uh, Kind of a cool announcement here. I'll share this on the screen with you guys if I could get the right mouse. And um, I have made a uh, kind of a commitment that we're going to be doing uh, every month. I kind of kept a secret, but I uh, every month we're going to be doing a newsletter uh, for the uh, EVP types like me. And uh, I'm going to be kind of serving as a, uh, maybe like a hub for EVP news and uh, sharing ideas and techniques. So out here on the SoulStream site, uh, if you go off to that tab up there on the right and drop down, you'll see the uh, new area for the newsletter. And I will be doing email notifications to interested people and uh, still working out just how we're going to do that. But uh, so far, uh, Michael wants to be on the list and I've got a few other interested people. And uh, so I'll be mailing out the July epi- uh, edition here very soon. Notification to those folks. And uh, it'll be out in the first week of every month. So I'm thinking I'll have the newsletter out by probably tomorrow night for July uh, with all the news and stuff. I've got a big bundle of stuff to put in there uh, from the last month of EVPisms I've been working on and uh, new things we've learned. So we'll uh, definitely look forward to uh, uh, folks kind of keeping an eye on this. And uh, if you go out there the first week of every month, uh, you'll see the new newsletter. And I will come up with something for uh, mailing you guys so you can uh, get the link and see that it's changed and the latest one is out. So um, that is really a big development because uh, there has not been a uh, regular EVP newsletter that I can see out there uh, for quite some time. And so uh, it's something I think that's needed in the community. Uh, matter of fact, Michael was uh, talking about it with me last night, and uh, you, you'll probably hear that in the episode here. I, I think I left that all in. Uh, so, yeah, that's good stuff. And let me see what my producer is saying. Um, 
radio voice A1. <laughs> Have I got a radio voice? I don't know about that. Um, oh, yes. The thunder is, yeah, the thunder is, is sounding wonderful. I've got to come up with some new noise. I keep saying it, but I like this sound, especially in the summer. You know, a summer thunderstorm. Doesn't it sound nice? Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and do the reading here. Let me clean my glasses. And you guys all see how I'm doing it. It's kind of a cheater's way. I should have a handkerchief, but this works just as well. All right, we're going to be having um, uh, the intro, and then I will get playing the interview. And we'll go kind of off camera, and so you won't see too much on the screen. Uh, but I will be in the chat room uh, entertaining any questions and uh, talking to folks. Anyway, we're going to be having Michael Esposito on, if I can say those words right. And um, Michael uh, was born in Gary, Indiana in 1964. He's a descendant of Alfred Vail. And Alfred Vail was the inventor of Morse code. A lot of people think that Morse was the inventor of Morse code. No, 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 no. That's not quite right. Uh, Michael's ancestor is the uh, the guy that did it. And uh, uh, you'll hear a little bit about that in the uh, interview. Uh, the invention of the telegraph uh, sparked the spiritualist movement. This is something I didn't know, and which is going to be going into the book. Uh, in the middle 1800s, and the telegraph was used in spiritual communication, which uh, was really something to hear, spirit communication. Uh, another ancestor, Jonathan Harned Vale, was the office manager and assistant to Thomas Edison. And uh, that connection to the Esposito family uh, is something that I'm talking about in the book because uh, the Espositos were big into the very early days of trying to record spirit voices on uh, wax cylinder recorders. And uh, so his family has a long, long um history and communications. His master's degree is in communications. And so uh, he is following in the footsteps of his family, just as I am doing in mine with the spiritual work my family has done. And uh, uh, let's see, he uh, studied communication theory at Purdue University, the University of Notre Dame, American University in Cairo, Egypt, which is where he learned a little bit of Arabic and uh, came in handy. Uh, Later on, he uh, also studied at Governor's State University. And during the Gulf War, he was a PSYOPs officer in the U.S. Army. And uh, we talked a little shop, uh, given my background and my defense work. And so uh, we, we enjoyed talking a little bit together, and you'll hear some of that. Um, over the years, under the Phantom Airwaves Institution, Michael has participated in hundreds of paranormal investigations all over the world. He has conducted extensive research at many active locations and, and has developed a great deal of unique theory and devised many unique experiments within the field of EVP. Uh, focusing primarily on EVP research, he has collected tens of thousands of EVPs and videos. He has numerous, numerous uh, television, radio, and newspaper appearances. Uh, he lectures and reaches, researches. <laughs> Let me try that again. Uh, Michael lectures and researches extensively throughout North America and Europe, and his work is often found in conjunction with experimental and sound artists from Europe and the United States. Uh, working extensively with EVP's uh, relationship to experimental music, uh, Michael combines EVP with field recording and related frequency tones of research, uh, dealing with EVP and that kind of thing. Um, 
and he's currently signed with uh, Touch uh, UK for his uh, musical endeavors. And a really interesting guy. You're going to love hearing this uh, talk. He is uh, it's one of the most intelligent people I've run into in quite a while. And I've run into some really smart people that this guy, this guy takes the cake. He's something. So anyway, I'm going to turn this all off. And um, let me see. We're going to go to PC view. I'll switch that. All right, and then I will get flat because my back is hurting, something fierce, but we are going to play. Now, uh, as you we start here, I had a little trouble with um, getting Michael's uh, telephone number to work. It would not run through uh, with me calling him from Skype. <laughs> so we ended up using Facebook, of all things. The Facebook connection made saved the day, and we were able to do the, do the interview, and it actually, the audio came out quite well, so... We're going to go ahead and play it, and uh, I will. it'll be about uh, two hours and, I think, 20 minutes. Uh, we ran a little long, but um, uh, I will be in chat and uh, answering any questions you guys have, and we'll take it from there. Okay, here we go. Take it away. Hello. Hello, John. Boy, we were working, batting a thousand there, my friend. <laughs> I know, right? Man. Like, wow. No problem. We made it work. Uh, you know what? It's neat, though. There's like a million ways to get a hold of someone now. So if one doesn't work, you can always try another. Yeah, I don't know what it was. Um, you know, I do uh, occasionally when I dial someone, because I'm using uh, outbound Skype as a, uh, and I pay for a phone number with caller ID on it. And um, uh, sometimes, though, I'll dial people's uh, cell phones or whatever, and uh it just rolls over and it's like the second or third time that's ever happened. So there must be some weird thing there, but this works. I blame G five. No. <laughs> well, I'm just glad I got a hold of you, my friend, and that yeah. we could make it work. Well, how was your day going? Uh, not bad. Not bad. I, I worked last night, so I've been kind of sleeping on and on and, did some estate sales this morning. I like estate sales because um, uh, it's neat to, to treasure hunt, you know. And with estate sales are, are different than, than uh, like garage sales or yard sales because <clears throat> when you go to a garage sale or a yard sale, the people get rid of stuff that they don't want. At an estate sale where someone's died, it's the stuff people wanted to keep. So you usually find a lot more interesting things. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I've thought about getting into that a little bit, but, uh, I've got such a bad back and with all this stuff going on with gas and everything, uh, I don't get out like I used to. So I'm being retired. Oh yeah. I mean, gas is horrible. And you know, some of these places are pretty dirty too. You know, you kind of gotta, you know, be careful. They're not ventilated well and, and stuff. It's definitely dangers involved. <laughs> Well, it's also a good place to get EVP, too. <laughs> you know, you're right. I've never thought it. Well, there's usually so many people shopping. So, but you know what? That's easy enough to ferret through. So, so you know, I've never really thought about that. That might be um, might be interesting. I like to look for uh, old passports and travel documents, especially. It's uh, interesting to have a, a piece of that for some reason. You know, it's uh, it's kind of neat. Yeah, you ought to try that. Uh, I've had I've had some really 
wild experiences pushing EVP, you know, with, uh, we went out to downtown Placerville and I, uh, you know, cause I'm up here in Northern California and we were just oh. seeing, we were just seeing what would happen if we just used all the noise we could, you know, road noise, middle of the day. And we, we got EVP of this guy yelling, um, uh, yelling, uh, you know, can't you guys just shut it up? Can't you stop this noise? You know, and it was just like, I, I couldn't believe I'm getting EVP in that contaminated an environment, you know? <laughs> so Yeah, you know, it, it's it's weird, but you're right, too. I mean, um, it, the, the contamination of the environment, everyone's always so worried about. But uh, I did a uh, show for, um, uh, it was with Leif Elgren, Elgren out of Sweden. And they invited Leif Elgren, um, the uh, Warhol Foundation, and... Um, uh, Absolute Vodka uh, invited Leaf and I over to New York to do a uh, concert for their um, when they introduced the Andy Warhol bottles for uh, Absolute Vodka. Andy Warhol loved loved the bottle so much he did a like a design for it and they released it and uh, so we were in this club in New York with about five hundred screaming people and and uh djs and everything and i was recording evp live going through it and sending it to some guys in the control room one from the warhol foundation and one for the uh absolute bottle uh uh, absolute vodka rather um uh corporation they were judging it for content to make sure that the these dead voices weren't saying anything that didn't support the character or personality of their uh, institutions. <laughs> and then they sent them back to me to make sure they were okay. And then uh, I fed them through what Leif Elgren was doing. And, uh, and we built them into live compositions on the roll. And then when the DJ came back on, he fed the EVPs into his DJ set. And on the back of this big screen are the, the the written part of what the EVPs were saying. I think one of them that they accepted was uh, um, uh, I won't sleep well tonight or something like that. You know, something re- regarding the sound like you got, yeah. you know, and it was weird seeing like 500 kids dancing to the DJ set with EVPs built into it. And the, like this, the, the words scrolling across the screen, you know, in, in big weird letters and, and, uh, it was it was pretty weird, but yeah, and, you know, if you can imagine recording EVP in a a disco full of you know five hundred kids, you know, <laughs> a rave. Yeah. So yeah, how did, <laughs> how did you get into combining that you know EVP into that you know live music and and composition work like you're doing with music? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> a long time ago. And it's, there's kind of a long story involved in it, but um, I was building um, mid-tower computers. I was modding computers and building computers from scratch and stuff. And um, uh, I was building a, a German Terratech recording studio into a mid-tower. Okay. And I think it also had a cigarette lighter and an ashtray built into it. But anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was building this computer and I was trying to mod the... Uh, audio ranges on it and uh, about a year earlier i'd been hit by a car 
or maybe not that long ago in Chicago. And um, it um, ripped my leg in half, kind of, you know, the bones and stuff. Oh, my God. And uh, one of the the surgeries I had, because the bones weren't growing together, they put a titanium rod in my leg, uh, the anesthetist. And I don't know what possessed him to do this. Today, I, I still wonder what kind of bedside manner he had. But he was kind of bragging about his work. And before he put me under, he said, oh, I'm going to bring you as close to death as you can be without dying. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And how wonderful that was and stuff. And uh, <laughs> when he put me out, between the time he put me on and the time I woke up, there was nothing. Nothing at all. You know, uh, it was just uh, like someone cut a piece out of my life, out of my world. Yeah. And it threw me into a real dark depression. Um, and I was really really bothered by that and, and so I'm, I'm building these computers and i run into this stuff called evp and so i said well this is interesting and i tried it and from the moment i tried it i was getting absolutely incredible voices and i'm like well god i mean if if there's nothing when you die and yet i'm getting this stuff there must be something out there yeah and uh and um, literally pulled me out of my depression. I mean, literally, if you will, saved my life, I guess. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I, I ran into was uh, this weird various artist album with, um, well, I ran into Mick, uh, Friedrich Jurgensen's work, and there was an album of his work put out by Touch, and I got in hold of Touch Music and, and Carl Michael von Hauswolf out of Sweden. Uh, oddly enough, a very good friend of Life Algren's, but uh, yeah. but uh, Mickey von Hauswolf had put this compilation together, and apparently he had been doing an album called Operations. He's an experimental musician and an artist, and, and they both are. And he was doing an album called uh, Operations of Spirit Communication. Right. Uh, he was visiting his, his in-laws uh one day while he was working on this album and his father-in-law said, you know, Hey, you know, that weird guy lived just down the street. You had to stop over there. That Friedrich Jurgensen guy who had written those books on EVP. <clears throat> so Mickey went down the street and knocked on the door and, uh, uh, Jurgensen's mistress answered the door and, uh, she had, uh, <laughs> very serious um, um, senility and um, uh, uh, um, um, Alzheimer's mm-hmm. disease. And she, uh, he said every time he went over to her house, it'd be like reintroducing himself. But she had uh, Jurgensen's entire office and and I, I don't know how much our listeners know about Friedrich Jurgensen, but he was uh, uh, an archaeologist. He was a um, uh, opera singer. He did two paintings of two of the popes. Yeah. He actually worked in the basement at the uh, Vatican in the archaeology department, and uh, he was recording bird song at his summer house in Sweden, and recorded his dad's voice. You know. Uh, and it kind of freaked him out and, uh, he took it to the Pope and the Pope's like, you know, don't worry, we know all about this, you know, 
and uh, he continued doing it. And uh, so Mickey got a hold of like some of his watercolors and all of his tapes and all of his personal paperwork and documents and stuff. And he toured the tapes around Sweden uh, in, in this big tour and then donated all the materials or most all the materials to um, the government. And he uh, set up the Friedrich Jurgensen Foundation. Yeah, which Carl, I think, runs. Which would? Yeah, which I think Carl, Carl runs that now. Yeah, Carl Michael von Hussle, right. Yeah. And, and actually, I kind of co-run it with him. <clears throat> wow. uh, we just did a re-release of, uh, of uh, uh, from the studios of Audioscopic um, uh, Investigation, which is what Jurgensen called his office. Uh, we did it on uh, a flash drive with some additional photos and, and tapes and stuff on it. Originally, it came out on CD through Touch Music out of the UK. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we just did a release on a, on a flash drive, you know, one of those cards with the pictures on it and stuff. We, we had them made up and that. But I actually have a few of the photos from him. And Mickey just recently sent me one of Jurgensen's uh, passports, which I think is very cool because <laughs> I'm doing the sort of passport collection thing now. And, uh, and I'm not sure exactly what's inspired me, but there's some calling and I usually try and follow my callings and, uh, something has inspired me that these, there's something important about these passports and I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm already quickly starting to, to amass a, a fairly decent collection. And I, I think there's something to it. I don't know what it is yet, but hopefully it'll, it'll arrive. It'll come to me. So anyway, I, I found, um, this information out about Mickey and got in touch with him and stuff. And he did a, a various artist album with, um, uh, what's his name from, uh, Sonic youth and scanner and, and, um, DJ spooky and, and, uh, a bunch of experimental musicians, uh, of the day, which actually was just re-released on vinyl. It came out on CD called, uh, wall dive, and uh, for the life of me, I can't think of the, the, the title. It's uh, Constantine Rodive, um Voices of the Dead or something like that. And what they did is they took some of Rawdive's EVPs and they put them to their experimental music, you know, be a drone or you know, music concrete or, or what have you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought, well, damn, I should try that with, with my EVPs. That sounds great, you know. I've, I've always liked uh, industrial and experimental music, you know, ever since I was, I was young, you know? Um, uh, so, you know, when I was very young, it was Zappa and Lennon Ono and, and, uh, Stockhausen. And then when I got older industrial came out, it was on and Neubaden and, and some of the more, what I used to call music for people who don't like music. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I started building them into these compositions and then started working with other experimental artists with my voices and, and quickly became um, well received for it. And Touch signed me on their label in the UK. And um, I've really been you know, doing that and performing it uh, with other people, Addie Newton from uh, Clock DVA. Uh, I have a, a band with him called Matar, and uh, 
we do stuff and record like at Stonehenge and at different crop circles, or rather uh, standing stone circles uh, in the UK and stuff. That is wild. And things like that. And um, we did a Midwestern tour a couple of years ago. You know, so I've been kind of putting out releases ever since. You can actually, if you look on Discogs, can type in Michael Esposito, and not the bass player from the Blue Magoos, but the other Michael Esposito. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you, you can find a, a long, extensive list of my work. Well, yeah, I've 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 looked at that. I mean, I've got. I think I, I'm not sure if I've got that on the uh, show page, but I will put it on there if it's not there. But yeah, I mean, you've been at this a while, and and you've been you've been doing like experimental procedures with evp along all through that too because i mean the more i read and the more i got into it um i mean i see this thing here you know and i was going through a little bit today and i threw in the show notes here um um embedded evps uh you know, you were doing some techniques with that for uh kind of freeing up residual evps Right. Um, that's actually a kind of, I have uh, several ongoing experiments that I've been working with. From the beginning, one of the things that, I mean, obviously I was building, you know, com- and modding computers. So my first question when I started to, to get these voices was, what are these things? I mean, physically, what are they? What makes them up? Yeah. And so I started to, to um, deconstruct what an EVP is sonically. I mean, because obviously, you know, all waveform is, is all is energy and visual audio, um, different traveling at different speeds, obviously, but, but all things we experience are all built on some sort of waveform. And that waveform is, is that oscillation is energy. Yeah. So, so everything in a quantum physical way can't actually be deconstructed. So, uh, uh, you got to forgive the fireworks if you can, if you're picking these up. There's, uh, no worries. Uh, I'm all American. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it's the uh, that time of year. So anyway, um, so I wanted to deconstruct what I was capturing. I mean, you know, I, it wasn't enough just to capture the voices. I wanted to find out what physically made these voices up. And uh, in my research, and I started to, to develop postulates and theorems and, and flesh them out a bit on, uh, on aspects of, of EVP that I thought were interesting. I ran into uh, Curtis, Ro- uh, Curtis Rhodes, who wrote an amazing book. I re- I, it's on quantum physics of sound. Okay. I recommend it to anyone. It's called Microsound Theory. Okay. And uh, what he actually came with the CD of uh, granular uh, sound. And what, what he said, basically, it just uh, borrowing from the Gabor Matrix, which actually Gabor got a, a Nobel Prize for, what he said was where a normal traditional sound engineer says the shorter duration of sound falls out of the range of, of human hearing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, into the infrasonic or ultrasonic ranges, depending on, on the nature of the sound. And what he proposed 
and I think rightly, is that that's not true. That even though it's a short duration of sound, the actual frequency of the sound doesn't fall off, but it just doesn't develop enough pressure to be registered by the human ear. So this decibel or this pressure that builds up for human ears. So he puts it on the listener. He doesn't put it on the, the, the source. So I say, okay, the reason that we don't hear certain short durations of sound is because it doesn't have enough pressure for us to pick it up. It's not that it's not there. It's just we can't pick it up. And uh, he talks about granular clouds, which are collections of, if, if, rightly so, and, and I kind of started to link things together with it. I'm thinking, okay, well, Einstein says all energy attracts, you know, or, or all like energy attracts, rather. So energy has characteristic. Energy has, basically, it's like a, a thumbprint or a fingerprint. It's It's got its own identity. Okay. Okay. So <clears throat> if like energy attracts, so if there are certain aspects of a particular energy that are like another particular energy, those energies will attract. Uh, it basically, it's, it's kind of like how we get hit by lightning or how static electricity is made. So if we have like energy attracting and we have this, this chasm where short bits of energy can attract to each other, especially if they came from the same source or whatever, they develop these little granular clouds that are sort of floating free in space of like energy. All right. Okay. So I'm thinking, okay, so what are we made of as human beings? We're about, you know, Mostly. 90 odd, you know, chemicals and, and a low level static electricity. With a lot of water. With a lot of water, right? Yep. And and our brains, all our personality, because is EVP is really is really the the research of persistence of of personality, persistence of memory. Yeah. So, if we're developing personalities and and likes and dislikes and 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 learning how to grow and, and developing feelings and that, which opens up a whole other chasm, but, but all of that information, all that personality isn't physical, isn't physically on us. It's electricity. Yeah. It's, it's the actual memories and everything of that. It, it falls not into the chemical range of things, but in the electrical range of things. That's why we can't go in and perform surgery and remove a piece of memory and put it into somebody else because it's it's not the physical part of it. It's the the electronic, but it's like a flash drive. Yeah. Enter, you know, information stored on the flash drive electronically, but it's a physical flash drive. You smash the flash drive, okay? If energy, another Einstein, if energy can never be created or destroyed, that energy and memory of what was put on that flash drive exists. Yeah. Okay. But the form that exists in would be a cloud of like energy kind of floating out there. There you have your granular clouds that, that Rhodes talked about. So when we die, 
which causes more energy through our, our decomposition through the chemical change of, of our decomposition. But that information of all of our personality and all of our memories and all of our education and everything we've discovered in life exists, including the memories and the desires to eat, talk, drink, sleep, whatever. I mean, our memory remembers that it needed to communicate. Okay, so I'm figuring, okay, we have this, we have the, this, the structure of it. So what is the experience when we record our EVP? And I'm, I'm going to truncate it a little bit here just for okay. time's sake, because this is easily in itself a three-hour lecture. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, uh, so when we record, whether it's on magnetic tape or if it's on digital or, or whatever medium we store it on, it's all analog because it's all based on a microphone. And as you well know, a microphone is nothing more than a magnet wrapped in coil. That's right. Creates the waveform yeah, as well, it vibrates back and forth across the coil. Exactly. Yeah. And what it does is it cuts a little slice out of an environment and, and reproduces that environment onto a storage medium. So what we're doing is with any microphone we use, we're taking a little slice out of some environment and you know what does all microphones do they compress so they to be able to store it on the medium they compress what they're in line with into an audible format and stores it on a medium excuse me okay so so let's go back to our curtis rhodes our curtis rhodes one of the microsound theories of quantum quantum sound theory is that Shorter durations of sound are not heard because they don't build enough pressure or decibel to be picked up by humans. And so what does a microphone do? It creates pressure, creates, you know, it compresses, it creates pressure and decibel. So that's why when we get electronic voice phenomena, it's because we're recording electronically, right? Right. You know, this is versus direct voice phenomena, which is a whole different thing when you actually hear voices, which I've done a lot of research on too. But so, so I came up with these 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 theorems and these uh, these writings and ideas about how what we're doing is we're cutting a slice out of a, a a cloud of like energy that remembers it needs to communicate and is trying to communicate, and we're compressing it onto a storage medium. So that when we play it back, we can hear it. Electronic voice phenomena. It, okay. And that explains a lot of things too. Like, you know, you've heard uh, reverse speech phenomena. Oh, yeah. And uh, a, lot, a lot of times you've taken your EVPs, I'm sure, and you've flipped the tape on them and it played them backwards and, and it says something. Yeah. Or you may have gotten an EVP that says uh, part of a phrase one direction and then you flip it and it says the other half of the phrase or may reiterate the phrase, you know, or you may get like little weird sections of, of, uh, of a sentence that you don't quite understand. Yeah. I well, got all that just became explainable because we're taking a slice out of it, uh, of a cloud of communication and we're compressing it. So, you know, the, the typical audio acrobatics that electronic voice phenomena performs 
is just so easily explained that way when you think of it in those terms. You know, it's the thing that's interesting to me is, um, as I was writing my book, which you, you know, you're going to be appearing in with some of the oh, things we, yeah, and I'm very glad to have you in there uh, with some of the things you were sharing with me. Um, but it, it, I was, I've been doing EVP recording since about 2005. And, uh, and I, I'm one of these people that just seems to get EVP wherever I go, <laughs> you know, and well, like an antenna. Yeah. Yeah. I just seem to get them. And, and the thing I, um, always noticed was, uh, and I've, I'm still wrestling with this as a concept and I, I'm not the kind that does the theorems like you're doing, but I always seem to notice that, uh, they're like right there. Uh, and I, I came up with a, my own term of, uh, you know, proximity EVP because they're always, for the most part, you hear them right up there, you know, intentionally communicating with you. And, um, although I do get Case, cases where I think it is basically playback, you know, uh, it's a residual EVP, but, um, and a lot of times they can be, yeah, it's, but you know, sometimes too, you get these ones that are, are not proximity. They're, they're not in close proximity, but they're c- close enough that you can hear them even uh, talking amongst themselves. And you're just kind of a bystander with the recorder on, you know, and right. that yeah. to me is just amazing that any of that can happen. And, um, I mean, what do you think of all that? I mean, you know, what's your thought? I mean, are, are, are you're talking about these clouds of energy? They're, they're definitely corporeal beings. I think there's a spirit to them. Right. Right. Oh yeah. No, most definitely. Or at least a personality. Yeah. And, and I think you, you, what you described, I think was, it was two things right there. Uh, one and, um, um, like I said, this, this desire to communicate, Maybe these energies are able to communicate with other like energies, other uh, granular clouds, if you will, right? So mm-hmm. maybe if uh, why why do why do some EVP seem to communicate with some other personalities, right, mm-hmm. and not other ones? And it, it could be all about like energy, and it may be some short shared memory or, or uh, um, physical thing. I've done a. a I've been working on a ongoing experiment of, of uh, like uh, um, uh, EVPs through bloodlines. And one of the, the theories that I've been working on and, and um, I've talked about <clears throat> is the idea that <clears throat> like energies are stronger between bloodlines and uh, EVPs gathered through uh, past family members or along bloodlines may have some uh, stronger or easier um, reception. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so, um, so I do believe that entities are able to communicate with other entities. I don't know how many different entities. I don't know if all of them or just some of them, you know, or whatever, but yeah, I do believe they, they do communicate with others. So when you're getting EVPs that seem like they're talking, uh, ghosts that are talking to other ghosts, I think that's very likely. And I, I believe it has, in just my work, I kind of believe that it has something to do with the like energy transference. But I, you know, you know proving that's going to be a little difficult. Um, but maybe someday down the road, 
will have the ability to do so. Now, the other thing you talked about was proximity and your ideas on proximity. I did a um, a flexi record with Scanner out of England, who actually started in the early 80s. His um, what he did was he recorded uh, when uh, scanners were real popular, you know, radio scanners and stuff, picking up transmissions. He'd go around and pick up odd transmissions in England and he'd build them into compositions and stuff. And that's how he got the, the nickname Scanner. Okay. Uh, back when those came out. But anyway, uh, he was actually on the, the Raw Dive uh, uh, album. And I did a, a single track with him based on uh, some recordings I did at Ogilvy Station, train station in, in Chicago. And they have separate platforms. And the voices on the platforms, you know, come over the intercom, call out the uh, the track number and the location. So if you walk up and down the line where all the different tracks are, there are like eight or nine, you know, heads, bulkheads, uh, travel, you know, stops. Right. And you can get the different ones. And <clears throat> the idea is if you close your eyes, you can hear the location of each one of those speakers. Okay. That comes from binaural listening. Okay. Uh, we see in three dimensions <clears throat> because our eyes are separated a certain amount apart. And we see in two different directions. And those two different directions that we see in create a 3D image in our head. Right. All right. So we can see something that's close or we can see something that's far away or we can see things in <clears throat> three dimensions because our eyes are separated. Yeah, now, parallax. if we were blind and... You know, we grew up with one eye, everything would be a two-dimensional plane to us. Right. And our, our you know, well, the same goes for our listening. Um, binaural listening, one of our ears picks up the original sound source and the other ear picks up the reflection or the echo off that original sound source off of an object, tombstone, a leaf, you know, to some minor extent, you know, anything, a wall, you know. So that echo was really, really important to our ability to tell the proximity of something or the location of where something is at. Right. So in between the original sound source and the echo, we can tell, hey, that sound's coming from behind us or that sound's coming from over there. That's called echolocation. And so... The one thing you may notice about really good EVPs or, or EVPs is it almost sounds like they come from everywhere at once. That, yeah, that's it. They, they, they sound like they're right there. That's the thing. And that's why I, I was, yeah. That's and a, so why is that? Yeah. Okay. The reason is, is that there's no original sound source. Sound source is energy that hasn't, doesn't have enough pressure to be picked up, right? Right. What you're recording basically is this echo. Okay. So you're getting something of a, of a two dimensional plane in a three dimensional world, you know, audio world. So it sounds like it comes from everywhere. Once you get no echolocation because there's not two sound sources, there's only the one sound source. Okay. And it, yeah, so you can't tell where it's at, but yeah. Yeah, you can't say, hey, that EVP is right behind me or to my right, you know, two meters or or what have you, because it really sounds like it's coming from everywhere at once. That's because it has no echolocation. 
So it's basically non-local in a way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, you know, it's funny. I, w- I just had a, somebody on my show last week, we were talking uh, near death experiences and I had a, an event that happened to me. I, I had, I've got a mild uh, heart rhythm issue. It's just a, it's a something that's easily controllable. And, uh, uh, I was 28 and I had this, uh, arrhythmia hit me and it was a really bad one that, uh, led to be in a coronary care unit. And they gave me, uh, oh, wow. uh, medicine for the, uh, to try to get it back into control. And when they gave me the medicine, I crashed and I literally left my body and I'm outside the body looking at myself from about 30 feet away, watching the nurse bend over me and they're working on me and I'm standing there going, and that was, it was kind of the, you know, the beginning of my, uh, my looking around going, I think I need to investigate things because if I'm not really in the body and this is me over here, how the hell did this work? You know, but, uh, right. but you know, non-local, uh, that seems to be like a feature of this, the other side, this, everything seems non-local. It just, it just seems like it's our three dimensions don't matter. <laughs> I don't know. I guess that's kind of the point of what I'm saying. It's just, well, it's, right, right. Our, 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 our three-dimensional world that we live in is very uh, constrained. It's, uh, you know, we're trapped in our bodies. I mean, and we're forced to deal with a physical world that that really is is very constraining, you know. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. I think I think what you experienced. And isn't it interesting how um, what your ne- near death experience um, got you exploring? I mean, that's one of the strengths of human beings. I think is that um, we suffer the rational man theorem. Uh, and of course, uh, the rational man theorem is is uh, a rational man when when um, put into a new environment. The first thing he needs to learn to do is how to function in his new environment. Yeah. And uh, and you were exposed to a new environment when you crashed, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to need to function in this new environment, so I need to learn about it. Yeah, it's. It's funny because uh, I grew up, uh, my father was a uh, uh, full-blown rocket scientist, full PhD level training, U.S. Army uh, Chemical Corps. Uh, ended cool. up at Aerojet. My father designed the uh, service module, main engine, nozzle, and combustion chamber for the Apollo uh, AJ-10 oh, engine. Yeah. So I grew up in that environment, oh, but wow. my mother's side were all psychics and mediums. And uh, I, <laughs> so I grew up with this uh, science and uh, openness to the other side kind of thing. And from the time I was five, I was seeing and hearing spirits and I'm clear audience. So I was having these experiences. So, but, you know, but I was at a point where I was 28 years old and I had kind of backed away from all of that. I kind of was focused on, I'm building a career, you know, and I was believing all the BS I was being fed back then. And uh, this thing happened to me and it was kind of a, uh, uppercut to the face kind of a deal. You know, it brought me up short and I went, the world isn't what I thought it was. <laughs> you know? isn't, it, isn't it weird how as we grow up, the things that we're forced to reject, yeah. you know, the idea, I mean, you, you were born into a, a perfect situation of physical and metaphysical sciences. Yep. And, uh, I, I envy you for that. That is, that's brilliant. And, um, what an interesting and great family you have. I, I wish I knew more about them, but, um, and it's a pleasure to meet you. I mean, pleasure to meet I, you. I'm discovering more, I'm discovering more about you as we talk. 
obviously. And um, and then as we grow up and, and we get older and we're forced to perform in this three-dimensional world in a three-dimensional way, the, the ideas and concepts that we may have grown up with or had as children, we're forced to reject or we force ourselves to reject to be able to, to function in this uh, highly constrained world, you know, this three-dimensional world. So, yeah, it, 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 um, I went through a period from there from, I was 28, I'm 63 years old almost now. And, uh, I went through that, uh, discovery period where it was about five years of just insanity, uh, as I, you know, went from one subject to another, uh, exploring it all. And, um, uh, the thing that just, uh, I kept getting led to dealing with, uh, the spirit world straight on with, uh, paranormal investigations. So eventually, you know, I was, I was, I worked in aerospace myself. You know, I, I, I followed my father into the rocket science business, but I ended up in the computer science and I was, you know, full blown information scientist for, you know, until I retired back in what, 2017. And, um, uh, and I was going through, you know, stuff at, even at work, we were, you know, I would be at work and there would be spirits I would see going through at work, you know, and, and we were having EVP stuff that happened at work. And, and I'm like going, if I tell people what I'm actually seeing and hearing, even here, it's going to be, you know, people are going to look at me funny, but I, I, yeah, I got to the point, <laughs> you know, well, you know, there were a lot of people that uh, were very, it's funny. You would be surprised how many metaphysical people are actually in the, in the aerospace business, but it, um, it was really strange to me how uh, all of this just kind of came together to end up pushing me into radio and doing the stuff I'm doing now. But I, I, the whole thing with EVP, uh, when I started recording that, you know, it, it was one thing to be seeing and experiencing them with your own eyes, but the the most amazing phenomena for me, and it just happened to me this week, uh, I was doing a big circle recording session, and um, I heard the spirit talking at the time I recorded it, and actually, I've got multiple EVPs like this I've actually recorded, and I've got the spirit talking. You know, and I got it on tape and I'm hearing it and I'm confirming it. And I just love that kind of stuff. You know, it just, it just, just is clear like, audience. yeah, yeah. I, I just love it when you could get you know validation of that because, you know, people, people think that, uh, a lot of people seem to think this stuff isn't real and oh my goodness, you know, uh, yeah. <clears throat> the things we catch, well, you know, well, what's nice is you're, you're clear and audience and I'm, I'm also clear audience. Occasionally I hear voices live you know direct voice phenomena you know where i actually hear voices of the dead you know and you do too obviously yes um it's, it's it reminds me of when i was a kid and i used to like to sleep with a, a box fan near me and one of the soothing things about it was is i'd often you know like it, i always ask people i said you, know, you ever fall asleep with a box fan near you and you hear voices or you think you hear voices yeah you most likely are <laughs> you know, and it's true. And I, I, I think about when I was a kid, how um, I had a kind of tumultuous upbringing. Um, my father was a uh, uh, mill boss in the steel mills, and uh, he was Italian and uh, liked to drink. And so uh, life around home was... Uh, a little rugged sometimes and um, I found that these voices that I would hear 
and I didn't really think about them until years later, actually kind of soothe me or they seem safe to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that happened to be, uh, uh, I got to, I was about 17 years old and I was getting to, into a phase of my teenage years that I was becoming a, a real problem to deal with. We'll just say it that way nicely. And, uh, I had full hormones going on and everything. And my parents decided mm-hmm. to put me up, uh, at our summer house in paradise, California. That's the town that burned, you know, several years ago. Right. And, um, uh, and it was, uh, you didn't have anything to do with that, did you? No, 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 no. I was, uh, you know, I was full on busy out here in, uh, my home about a hundred miles away. But, uh, but it was funny. The, uh, the, uh, uh, the house that we had that summer house was haunted as hell. And, uh, Mm -hmm. so they decided they were going to put me up there and have me clean the property. You know, it was my, uh, it was my family, uh, ancestral home going back to 1906. And uh, so a lot of people had been raised there. People had died there, you know, and I knew that house was haunted. And when they put me there, it was like being sentenced to, you know, the gulag, you know, and, uh, and uh, they, they put me in there. And from the moment I was there, I was hearing voices of not only, uh, dead people, but I had relatives voices who were still alive that were playing back to me in the house. And I didn't know anything at that point. So I, I mean, I, there were a couple of phone calls at three in the morning of, you know, my family, you know, 70, 80 miles away going, you got to get me out of this insane asylum, you know, but yeah, it was, I, I don't know why anyone hasn't ever written about doppelganger voices. I mean, I've seen doppelganger when I was a kid and stuff, but you never really hear anybody actually talk about doppelganger voices. And, yeah, and, it was strange. I, 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 th- I, I, I was of a mind that either I've got an, you know, somebody is, is mimicking a family member or it's the house playing back, you know, as I thought about it later. But, you know, the funny thing is, I mean, you, you mentioned the reason I brought it up is because you mentioned the comfort you got. And the funny thing was, um, uh, I, one of my relatives who had died in, I think in 1969, we called him Uncle Jaffe and he was my, uh, uh, he was about 80 some odd years old when he died of cancer. And, so, uh, the whole house was just, just going crazy every single night. And I ended up in this room that, um, uh, I decided to sleep in his room. I always avoided it cause he had died in there, but whenever I go in there, it'd feel very peaceful. And there was a white glow on the end of the bed where his head was that I could never seem to get rid of no matter what I tried to do. And I finally just went, well, it's gotta be something to do with his dying there. So, I started sleeping there and it was the most peaceful thing. And from that point on, it was like, I felt like he was watching over me and I thought that's the coolest thing. And the voices all started to kind of tone down. And, uh, it was just, a. I think they, somebody on the other side knew they had a scared kid on their hands, but I can tell (laughs) you that it was funny. I came out of that after three months and ready to go back to school, the final year of high school. And, uh, I was the most nice guy you ever met after that. (laughs) <laughs> you know it's, it's it's family therapy it's intervention right <laughs> yeah you know sentence the dead relatives to you know shape up your kid i mean uh i i recommend it to anybody who's got a haunted summer home <laughs> you know? well remember i was i was done doing that work on bloodline and like energy yeah you know? and, and i think that's what your experience when, when i was a kid um we have a family farm in effingham illinois that i think we bought in 1927 um and um uh some of the evps i got uh one of them uh 
uh, Mark is dreaming was real clear. And, um, you know, I remember things from when I was a kid. And then this, one of the things actually is a, a different thing was the, the basement was really scary. My grandmother was always afraid of the basement. And later on in life, I went and did some uh, dousing work and stuff in in the basement. I think I found an elemental down there, Whoa. which you know, to me, what I call an ele- elemental is it's an entity that's always been here. It's never been uh, alive. It's uh, not male, not female. And it's, well, what Swedenberg used to call the watchers, Emanuel Swedenberg in the, the late 1500s, he used to call the, the watchers, yeah, uh, which were uh, uh, protection angels, I guess, if you will, or, or, or you may remember the watchers from the Bible with the sons of God and all that. Right. But um, anyway, the CVP I captured is, is goes very clearly, Mark is dreaming. And, uh, so I took that EVP, I sent it to my cousin, Mark, and uh, this was after my uncle had died. And he said, that's my, I didn't tell him anything about it. I said, Hey, I captured this down at the farm. And he goes, Oh my God, that's my dad. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and it was my uncle very clearly saying, Mark is dreaming, talking about my cousin, Mark. Whoa. Now what became really bizarre, which is something that I kind of, tried to grapple with and this is something for you to think about as well i think that uh, you're very well set up to, to consider this point i remember when i was in college and this is a good 20 years um before i captured this evp i was in my grandma i lived in my grandmother's house and um, um she hadn't died yet but she was in a nursing home and I was sleeping on my grandmother and grandfather's bed. My grandfather died in 71. Okay. And I had a dream. And I had a dream. And in it, my uncle was saying, Mark is dreaming. Whoa. Right? Yeah. So the question is, is like, is this some foretelling of the future? Is it? Something, you know, is it a message from my uncle saying that that we're all dreaming that this is just a dream? Is it a uh, just the, the the folds on this are so, you know, <laughs> geometrical? I can't even begin to to um, wrap my head about it at this point in, in time. There are so many possible aspects of what could be going on there. But I never thought of that dream. It was one of those weird dreams you have, and you wake up, you said, oh, my God, that was such a weird dream. But you long forget it, you know. But when I captured that, and I was listening to it, and it wasn't right away, but it was after a while. I said, oh, shit, I remember this dream I had. In the middle of the day, I was taking a nap, you know, in the afternoon on, on the bed. Right. You know, I was fully dressed. The bed was made. I could tell you the whole aspect of the dream and the context of it but i can't tell you why or what part of the dream it fit it so when i capture this evp and then it was confirmed by my cousin it's like and then later on i fit it in with this this whole experience that i had when i was in college it's 
really, you know, like, what is that saying? What is, what is going on there? So, so uh, unfortunately deconstructing that phenomena is a little bit beyond me at the moment, <laughs> but, but I think it goes in with, again, I can't emphasize enough that the, the strength of the bloodlines and, and I think I suggest that anybody who's into EVP and stuff do a, a focused experiments on, on relatives and bloodline. It's funny, you know, it, I remember a quote by Schopenhauer talking about, um, you know, the great dream of a, I, let me actually look this. I, I pulled it right up here. Just as you were saying that, um, it is one great dream dreamed by a single being, but in such a way that all the dream characters dream too. <laughs> it just kind of reminded brilliant. me of that. And right, I, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. But you know, it's funny. Um, you know, uh, I, the other word that I thought of just as you're talking about all this was, you know, fractal. And fractals yeah, being, sure. yeah, fractals are self-similar. And if you've got self-similar, uh, you know, self-similar beings or self-similar clouds of particles, like you're talking about, uh, they're basically like familial. Um, they tend to attract this kind of thing, you know, but I love the time aspect for your EVP too. I mean, you, you, you had this dream all those years before, and then you get it all those years later. And it's just this confirmation thing going on. It's like, what is that about? You know, you're right. I mean, why do I even remember the dream? Or why did the, you know? It's you know, what is the reference of that dream? And it could it be something that I'd stored in in me, you know, and what have you? Did I send you? I think one of the EVPs I sent you was the Marcus dreaming, didn't I? Yeah, I did. And uh, you know what? I'm gonna. Um, I'll tell you what. I'm. I let me see if I can find that because I can. We can play that. Um. You know, I was thinking when you were talking about the family, your family, and, and how you grew up and how amazing it was. Uh, my son just moved to Sunnyvale. He just uh, he got his master's in programming, and he just got his first job with uh, he's programming for Google. Okay. And my other son, who's uh, rejected formal education altogether, is is attending an LTA art school in Chicago where he's going and, and, um, and drawing and painting, you know, 16 hours a day in, in a studio in Chicago, you know, at some academic, uh, and he's a huge fan of, um, uh, well, both Dante Alighieri and, uh, and, um, uh, Nietzsche. And, uh, his concepts are that, uh, you shouldn't do something it doesn't directly affect what you want to um, do in life. So he considered all formal education um, propaganda tool and uh, literally is, is just focusing on his art. So he's very artistic. Right. You know, and it's interesting. It's like the two sides of me split into, you know, evil little minions or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, my, it's funny because my sister was the most, uh, you know, when we were kids, my sister was this, uh, you know, super education nut and, uh, really, you know, straight A's. And I was the one that was always looking at school like, oh, you, you gotta be kidding me. And, uh, she ended up, you know, uh, in, uh, working in, um, uh, the aircraft industry, you know, but in a, uh, kind of an office type job. And, uh, mm -hmm. and she, it's an honorable thing she's doing. She's raised a family. She's doing amazing stuff. But 
I came out of my funk about education and all that and went into the rocket business. And then uh, I waited till I was 28. No, actually, no, I was uh, no much farther along. Um, I was 42 when I went back and got my, uh, my bachelor's in uh, information science. And I was doing that full time. But, you know, I, I, I changed my opinion. What's that? My time is so irrelevant. Yeah, it's funny because it, it, my opinion of higher education changed and uh, it really changed the way I viewed the world. I mean, I came out of it, uh, I was doing night school and just working my tail off. You know, it was right at the time 9-11 happened. And, uh, oh, yeah. and so, uh, the, you know, I was getting ready to quit and go on to another job and they offered me a free education. And, and it was basically, I said, okay. And the next thing you know, um, uh, about six years later, I got my degree and, um, uh, it changed everything. And I became, a uh, a lot more open to open-minded. I think the world wasn't so black and white after that. You know, I began to see it's it. Other- weird. Yeah. How that, isn't it weird how that does? I was, well, I got my uh, master's in communication theory. Go figure. Right. And uh, I ended up <laughs> being, I was a, I was a commodity broker and trader for 26 years at the board of trade in the Merck in Chicago. Whoa. Uh, yeah. For a long time, I had an office and I think I was at the, uh, the Merck when, uh, no, I was at the board of trade. When 9-11 happened, we were watching it on the screens and then they had to evacuate the board of trade because we were a major target, you know, and stuff. So, yeah, you, you never really know where your three-dimensional world is going to take you. Yeah, it, it was funny because uh, uh, the company I work for was called Aerojet General. And uh, uh, you've seen our products. If you saw the space shuttle uh, OMS engines, those pods on the back, that was mm-hmm. us. You know, those were made next door to the building next to me. Uh, you know, Titan, wow. Titan, Deltas, you know, uh, reaction thrusters, everything you can imagine, pocket rockets. Uh, we did sure, it all, but on the back of the shuttle, of course. Yeah. And, uh, but it was on nine 11, uh, it got, it went so crazy. Uh, uh, we ended up, we had our, uh, DSP satellites down at our Southern California, uh, headquarters. Uh, you know, the DSP satellites were, uh, at the time, they were the uh, they were the ones that could detect nuclear launches, and uh, anywhere in the world. So we had a whole string of them all around the planet, watching for you know, any kind of launch. And you know, they were integrated into the whole you know uh, NORAD defense system. And um, uh, the minute nine eleven happened, uh, the next thing you know, the uh, U.S. Army descended on that facility, and it became a, a very heavily fortified place. If you catch my drift. With a lot oh, of guys, yeah. uh, with a lot of very mean-looking uh, people walking around, with uh, heavily armed, and uh, <laughs> it uh, our uh, and then we had our own contingent up here in Sacramento, and uh, y- the next day after uh, we were called in in a big giant meeting, and it was basically this we're at war, and I mean I mean everybody in that room was bug-eyed at the stuff that was going on. And they were, they were basically saying, anybody's got a great idea for cave warfare. Anybody's got a great idea to do this and that speak up because we're going to open, we're open to all possibilities because people's lives depend on what, uh, you know, it, our creativity. And, uh, I never well, forgot it's that. Amazing. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how it's affected. 9-11 affected everyone. Yeah. I mean, the first plane ripped through one of our largest bond trading uh, companies that and destroyed everyone. 
you okay. know, it evaporated everyone. The whole bond, uh, one of the largest bond trading <laughs> uh, companies in the world, completely just obliterated. And oddly enough, the president of the com- company didn't show up for work early. He was doing something or whatever. And the president of the company didn't make it into work that morning. Only survivor, right? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's like, holy shit. Yeah. So many people were so directly affected by that. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I know we're going off topic here, but, um, uh, three years before I was sitting at, uh, our company cafeteria It was 1998. And, uh, there happened to be a special forces soldier sitting next to us. And, uh, uh, me and my, uh, my, my buddy that I was sitting there with having lunch, uh, we get talking to this guy and he was, I think he was an army ranger and he, uh, he he's kind of out of the blue mentioned, you know, you know, things are going to get really interesting in this country. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he says, eh, we've got a lot of intelligence, you know, things are going to uh, happen in the next few years that people aren't going to believe. And I said, well, what is that? And he says, oh, you're going to see uh United States get hit. We're going to get hit. They're probably going to go after you know, New York and they're going to go after uh, uh, Washington, D.C. And, I, I said, you got to be kidding. I says, we're one of the most heavily defended countries on earth. And he said, our leaders are asleep at the switch. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he said, you remember this. And he, I said, I will. I says, I've got a long memory. And he says, you remember this conversation. And he says, it will come to pass. He said, the, the people uh, running the country, uh, they've forgotten all the basics of uh, defense. He said they're going through the motions, but they're not doing the practicing the things that they need to be doing. And it, uh, the day that happened, that, that, that conversation flashed through my mind. And I I was just like, everything he said came through. (laughs) Oh yeah. So I was, uh, I got my army commission out of the university of Notre Dame and, um, uh, I was in a special operation forces unit, uh, uh, of civil affairs and what their job quote unquote is, is to set up a government. Once we take over a, a country, once we, we, um, liberate or take over a, a government, we set up the new government. Yeah. And then I was with uh, psychological operations also, which they're ghosts basically. But during, I was in the Persian Gulf war. Yeah. And um, I wore civilian clothes. I speak a bit of Arabic, and uh, I wore civilian clothes a lot of time. It was on on the the, the economy, so to speak, as they they call it. Okay. And um, uh, you'd be really surprised how um, who's really running this this government and this the, the the nation in the world is is weird. I mean. In the, in the civil affairs, everyone there, besides well, me and maybe a couple others, had PhDs, and they the, the stuff that they worked on, the stuff that they talked about, and psyops, of course, was so very eye opening. Was so bizarre. Yeah, I had it, my, I had my uh, <clears throat> eye opening views of things, and um, it was always interesting to me. Uh, how we would develop new technologies that we really thought were going to be, you know, amazing. And all of a sudden they would just disappear into a black hole after they were all developed. And, uh, uh, you would just go, where did it go? 
and, you know, and, and not really a black hole, but just out of sight. <laughs> well, for us, it was a black hole because I mean, you know, the deal right. you mean, uh, need to know and, uh, you know, compartmentalization, that's the, the rule of the game. And, um, uh, it just always amazed me. And, and we always would hear whispers and, uh, you know, things about things, how things really were. And you would just go, wow. And it, the stuff going on in the world right now, I mean, I'm kind of not surprised because there's a lot of, there's a lot going on that, you know, people just don't realize, you know, but uh, uh, if people actually believe that the structure that you see in front of you is how it is, uh, you got another thing coming, you know. <laughs> I was I was just going to say I was uh, just as you said that I was going to say, and yet everything that's going on is peripheral. Yeah, you know uh, the whole with with Trump or Biden or all that. That's just peripheral. That's just a it's a it's white elephant. Well, and it, it, it's uh it's interesting to me, you know. Uh, I, I'm at the point now where I, I, I pay attention, but I look at it and I go, okay. Um, you know, I don't know where the world's going, but I'm just going to trust. I'm just going to trust higher powers because this is, this is beyond me. You know, <laughs> it's just, it's beyond me now. I mean, I thought I could, I thought I could make sense of it, but I can't. And, uh, the politics and all that, you know, it's almost pointless. You know, uh, the world's going to go where it's going to go. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just putting my faith in, uh, somebody upstairs, you know, please let this come out. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, it's, uh, 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 it's like father and Getty or Jurgensen going to the Pope and saying, we're capturing these voices. And the Pope's like, don't worry about it. We already know. (laughs) You know, it's funny because, uh, what was that? It was, uh, father, um, Ernetti. Yeah, Father Ernetti. Ernetti. Yeah. yeah. They, Ernetti, Ernetti, that's it. Yeah. Gamelli uh, and Ernetti. And they, right. yeah, because they were doing the wire recorder. And, right. Yeah. And and they took it to, uh, what was it, Pope Pius twelfth, I think it was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just was blown away when I read that whole thing. And then, you know, Ernetti went into the chronovisor, you know. and I, Right. And that was like, you know, when I found that, I just went, what the hell? And, uh, oh my God, you know. <laughs> oh, it, you know, I did recordings at the Vatican uh, years and years ago. And if you don't, I mean, people who, well, if, if I were to say to you, I, mean, I know you won't be surprised. I mean, you, you know, but the Vatican's had a, 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 a EVP section forever you know since we've been recording you know voices which goes back to i mean it goes back to the very days of earliest recordings you know with the well you you, did you see the stuff i did on burgosis no um 1901 there was a joint u.s russian uh expedition to yeah, I know who you mean now. Yes, yes, I did yeah, see yeah. that. Yeah, northern, you... northern Siberia and Alaska, and they were recording uh, uh, the indigenous peoples there, the Chukchi and the different the different tribes. Yeah, of uh, Eskimo type tribes, and he was in um, he was in a village alone, you know, out of his team, recording uh, some uh, Chukchi shaman doing. Uh, invocations for raising the dead and stuff and he got voices in in english and in russian and this was on edison's wax cylinder 
you know, so this is the wax cylinder recordings in 1901, 1902. Yeah. And he actually came out and made the mistake of, of telling the scientific community what he'd captured and, and was literally ridiculed for it. But uh, Indiana University Bloomington actually has the only digital audio uh, tapes of those cylinder. And they actually have the cylinder records there, too. You know, and uh, I was able to get a hold of those. Yeah. The, the funny thing was, it you know, after because you sent me that and I, I followed up with it and I found on Archive Org, I found a uh, complete write up that he, you know, he'd written a whole book on it. And they had yeah. done a, they had done a reprint of it, so I went into that and and the poor guy he was trying to figure out what in the hell he was capturing, and he was seeing um you know these these ch- ch- I can't say the word chuchki <laughs> you know these uh uh you know uh, native people there in Siberia uh he was getting these recordings and he was uh seeing uh, elements of everything from stage stage magic that they would do. Uh, kind of al- along the lines of some spiritualism uh, right. and mixed in with actual spiritual phenomena mixed in with uh, inexplicable things he was seeing that uh, not only were the voices being captured, but he was seeing other things that the, these, these Siberian people could do and that, you know, like one, there was a woman who uh, could do apports, you know, there are things that would actually stones would fall out of her hands. Out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And I read this and I'm like, so this poor guy, he's trying to write through, you know, his experiences and, and as be as honest as he can, but he's trying to explain it away while he's going, you know, through this thing. And I still can't, you know, that's the thing that gets me with science. It's like, you know, cut the guy a break. I mean, he's I mean, right. Why does, why does the scientific community shun the real scientists? You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, he was actually trying to find a way to, uh, to explain his way through it. But, um, you know, it, it the thing that gets me with the the uh, recordings like your family did there, you know, at, at Effington and Bogoras, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, the stuff he gets in Siberia and the things that you did, too, with your uh, your friend that you uh, did that whole uh, experiment with the, the the trumpets and recording into the, you know, the front of the trumpet. Um, oh, with the the. the, the um the uh, horns from the cylinder phonograph yeah. recorder. And to me, it, it was like, I was looking at that going, well, are, I don't know that those are EVP. They, they, they're they actually like AVP. I think I've always uh, kind of viewed them as they're, uh, they're auditory voice phenomena. They're not electronic at that point. They're, there's enough energy in this spirit be, being able to speak into that thing to be able to get it to actually uh, register as a recording. And, uh, well, we'll look at, look at the, the work they did in Indiana at the spiritualist community over at, uh, um, camp, um, oh God, I can't think, uh, with the, with the uh, spirit trumpets and stuff like that. Oh, really? A lot of that was, was hocus pocus, but a lot of that also was, was very much real. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, what was the name of the, the camp? It's, um, famous. Um, in the 20s and 30s, it was a huge, huge spiritualist community. Still is. I know who you. Um, I know where you mean. I can't remember the name right off, but yeah, it's a community that they established just for spiritualism. Yeah. Oh, also on a side note, do me a favor. Do send me that link to the book if you can. Oh yes, I will absolutely. Course, I've got I, that. I did not find that. That's amazing. You found that. 
Well, and you pointed me. Love. Yeah, I, I, information's my game. <laughs> I'll send. I'll send you everything I got. That'd be great. Yeah. I appreciate that. And uh, I'll make a copy of the digital audio tapes of uh, of all of these recordings that I got from Indiana archives. Oh, good. I'm looking for that. Lilydale. Camp Chesterfield. Camp Chesterfield, Indiana. I knew it would come to me. Okay. That's a spirituals community, Camp Chesterfield. All right. But it's it's actually only uh, three hours away from where I am, so I haven't I haven't gone there yet. I don't know why, but I, I need to make a trip one of these days this summer. But they they caught they caught quite a bit of genuine phenomena. You know, kind of going back to you know, you, so there was kind of a mix of things going on. You were getting the uh, the bad stuff that you know that they were faking it, and then there was the good. You know, that they were actual right, phenomena. Exactly, and I think that's an interesting point, really, because. Um, it's kind of, <clears throat> it's like when you were, when you were building your rockets and when you're working in the, in the, the rocket science and you build models of something that doesn't exist yet on the hand, yeah. your model of something that doesn't exist yet is really kind of uh, uh charlatan's hoax. Yeah. Until you actually create it, then it becomes real science. And it's repeatable, and, you know? Yeah. Something like and that. It's repeatable. Right. Well, it's odd that the scientific community is is very much stuck in this three dimensional world we talk about, and um, and anything that doesn't fit within those constraints are are sorely rejected. You know, and I don't know if it's through fear of of uh, its own self preservation for the scientific community or, or or what it could actually be, but for some reason. The scientific community, you know, feels the need to ridicule or reject things that don't fit properly in their three-dimensional world. I I've always seen it as uh, uh, it's part of a of a it's part of the human condition. Um, and I I know this is going to probably rub some people the wrong way, but you know, if you go back to uh, the times of Galileo and you had him uh, coming in and basically taking the uh, the church to task, you know, about their view of the solar system and what, you know, how it was, the earth was not the center and you had the inquisition and everybody after him. Um, yeah. I mean, we like to think that science has gone past all that, you know, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, the church is no longer the center of the universe. And, you know, we've had the Renaissance and this whole thing has happened and science reigns supreme. Well, you know, they really didn't change too much other than the title of the people that are doing the work <laughs> you know yeah, right. and, and exactly. it's, it's kind of like a scientific inquisition you know you know they, they apply scientific method um when it's in their favor but i've always believed that uh, what's really happening is there's um science is looking for anomalies all the time but they want to control the anomalies because i mean you know the people behind the curtain really want to have the first crack at everything that's new and and um I, I really believe that's what's really going on. They have their little inquisition that they put in front that directs everybody away. And then they have time to go off and kind of look at it and go, well, let me kick the tires on this and see what we really got. And Well, uh, yeah, it's yeah. interesting because they, you know, our modern world, <clears throat> we are only subjected to ridicule where people like uh, Galileo and Newton actually put their lives on the line. I mean, you know, both Galileo and Newton were at one point nearly executed. Nearly, yeah. nearly put to death 
for their ideas. Yeah. And there's, and they were, uh, they were connected into a lot of metaphysical circles. Uh, there were a lot more to be, people should study history more. They would be surprised at the things they'll find out. We'll just say right, that. They should study it instead of try to erase it. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. You got that right. I mean, it, it it just it just strikes me that um, science could do so much better if they would just open up and let let people uh, be able to you know talk about these strange anomalies. But you know, it's like the whole UFO question. You know, um, uh, the the U.S. Atti- U.S. government attitude to UFOs for so many years it's starting to finally crack a little bit. But but for so many years, the UFO question was uh, anybody who saw anything was treated like they were crazy. And, uh, and that's including, you know, including, uh, you know, full blown astronauts, some of the most heavily trained people in the world, trained observers, amazingly observant, uh, fighter pilots who I've met plenty of. Um, and I've, I've even, I've even, I've even done EVP and fighter aircraft, believe it or not. You would love that one. (laughs) Oh, I I did uh, EVP in a, uh, U-boat. Well, that's cool. Yeah, see, you and, are, you and I are on the same page. I mean, yeah, I was up in a in yeah. a CJ six. It's funny because I was in a CJ six fighter trainer. We were flying against uh, uh, we were flying against Top Gun pilots. Um, my boss had this Chinese Communist Party airplane that got imported in the United States. So here I am, you know, my whole life I've been in the defense industry, and I'm flying in a flying in a commie airplane doing EVP up in the air. Because I think, wow, That's this hilarious. is cool. Let me try this. <laughs> so, but it, yeah, it's just it's just amazing. Um, I, I look at science, uh, and I just think it would just be so much better if they would just open up and let people talk, share these experiences and openly uh, pull people in and, and say, okay, there is something here. And, uh, let's open it up for everybody to do, you know, to talk about it. The French are so much, uh, so far ahead of us on the whole UFO question because the French government began involving everybody in it. For, uh, they declassified everything and started really just saying, okay, let's talk about it. You know, and they're kind of the world leaders with UFO research in my opinion now, because, you know, they, they view it that way, but the paranormal world's got a ways to catch up, you know, especially EVP and that kind of thing. Cause it's labeled pseudoscience. If you go out on Wikipedia, you know, which just pisses me off. <laughs> you know? The few will never trust the masses. I mean, if you go from the, 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 the Gutenberg press and the Bible, you know, and the Bible itself and, and you go to uh, the creation of the CIA, you know, the, the Bible was to, to manage the masses, the, in my view, humble mm-hmm. view, uh, and especially being the most, you know, um, published tome that exists, the CIA was created to protect a few from the masses. You know, there's always been a this distrust between the 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 few and the masses, and and I think that that plays a great deal into it. You know, I I it's funny because Star Trek had. Uh, several episodes where that theme was played out. And, um, I, I, Star Trek next generation. I don't remember the episode title, but, um, I'll paraphrase it. Basically this, uh, this, uh, group of people were evolving to a point where they were becoming pure energy beings, you know, and the need for all of the control and secrecy was over. And it was basically, uh, these people were becoming pure spirit. 
And uh, the government of that planet was just dead set against it. And they were killing anybody who showed the signs of converting into this new form. And, and I loved it because I, you know, oddly enough, I believe that's where we're headed as a species. I think that we're going to get past this notion of having our, um, uh, having to, you know, work on, uh, concept of always you know being at odds with each other i think it's going to change you know down the road um people won't be uh driven to compete against each other to the point where they're they're killing each other over stupid things you know so i think that's going to be a feature of our evolution i think because there's been too many cases of otherworldly intervention that you know i've been tracking and i'm going to be doing a book on evp or not EVP, but uh, uh, UFO and alien intervention on this planet. And because, uh, I mean, I know a lot. <laughs> I've been around this business a long time. And it just strikes me that that's basically kind of how it's done throughout the rest of the galaxy and the rest of the universe, you know, and the other dimensions. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. I was actually going to say evolution. And the thing about evolution is, is, is really the one thing that, that the few cannot stop. And they're aware of it, I'm sure, is, oh, yeah. is the natural laws of evolution. And um, they're strong. I mean, that's one of the strengths so far of, of mankind is the ability to evolve, you know, yeah, as a species. And, uh, you know, uh, have you ever, um, in your, EV, your UFO research, off topic again, have you ever uh, run into Christopher O'Brien? Uh, the name sounds familiar, but he's the uh, world's second leading authority on cattle mutilation. But he he's done a lot of books on tricksters and stuff. Okay. Um, actually, I he wrote a I'm in a, I'm a chapter of one of his books, but um, he uh, he's uh, knows a lot of people also in not just MUFON, of course, but but also in the actual scientific community. Uh, uh, look up Christopher O'Brien. I think you'd be interested. He did a he did two nine hundred page books on cattle mutilation. Whoa! <laughs> right? It's like okay, and he has some real interesting um, theories on. He lives in um, Arizona in the in the valley. Yeah, and has done a lot of research on the the UFOs and stuff that they've been experiencing there. He actually ran tours for some company out there taking uh tours uh, high level government tours if you know what i mean yeah out that way it's funny because um uh the there i've seen competing theories about the cattle mutilation stuff and it's uh it's interesting to me because some of it does appear to be genuinely you know of an alien origin um and mm-hmm. may very well be uh you know uh, other dimensional beings coming in and sampling our DNA and doing whatever they're doing. Uh, but, uh, I saw a study that, you know, from years ago, uh, it's funny how a lot of this stuff was happening in the areas of, uh, the Southwest where we had been doing most of our nuclear testing and the fallout patterns were, uh, such, you know, because I mean, you know, here in the United States, of course, you know, the prevailing Westerlies, you know, going East, uh, carried a lot of fallout all over the country. And, um, it's a very strange thing that these cattle mutilations tend to be happening uh, quite a bit in those areas where the most fallout was going on. And uh, I don't remember the exact source of that, but it just stuck in my mind. I should look that back up. But uh, 
uh, I have some thought that some of these mutilations are actually U.S. government, uh, you know, data gathering. One of his theories, one of the things he says is that he thinks uh, there's a very strong government connection to it. Yeah. Well, you know, they they did a lot of indiscriminate uh, uh, detonations in New Mexico and into Nevada over many, many years before the uh, you know, nuclear t- uh, test ban treaty in, the, I think, the 1960s. And uh, so it would make sense that they would be doing long-term uh, data collection and uh, they would be using, for the most part, cattle you know, and uh, sheep or any other thing they could get their hands on. And uh, it's interesting stuff. But some of these you know, cattle mutilations, though, are so precision done and so fast in the way they're done and uh, – and the phenomena that are seen with them, yeah, there's definitely an alien component to it, uh, part of it. But who knows if they're actually in leagues together, they're actually working together. Who knows, you know? Right, exactly. I mean, I've always stayed fairly peripheral on EVP, I mean, uh, rather UFO, just uh, to focus on the EVP stuff. But if you're ever out this way, we'll go over to Dave Childers' town. He's got a little town. Uh, Chris O'Brien's real good friends with Dave. Yeah. And um, uh, he has a town that's got a printing press, you know, that he publishes the books and stuff from and that. And he has a little uh, World Explorers Club uh, hotel there and stuff to stay at. Um, but uh, that is just uh, just the just the people that show up there and hang out in this town and stuff are such a interesting <laughs> collection of is right there in Illinois. OK. Know? Well, you know what? I'll, I'll keep that in mind. You know, it's funny because you know, uh, something happened the other day. I mean, you know, my primary focus is, for the most part, EVP at this point in my life. Right. And, but the other day, uh, you know, I keep tabs on the UFO phenomena because, I mean, I grew up with this stuff all, all around me. So, I mean, you know, I kind of immersed in the whole potpourri of the, all these subjects. But it was a very strange thing that came up the other day. And um, it's on my website. Uh I, this guy in June, uh, is in Brooklyn and he films these lights that are, and everybody has seen these all over the place. And these lights are just flying all through the sky. And, uh, I saw this video, a friend of mine, uh, sent me the link and said, Hey, check this out, John, this is right up your alley. So I I watched this video and I, I had my headphones on and it's this about a minute, minute and a half minute, almost two minutes uh, clip. And I'm sitting there listening to this and this guy's just going crazy because all these lights, you know, and it was an amazing video. And then I hear EVP and I'm going, wait a minute. And I go back and I thought I'm going to extract the audio out of this. So I, I, you know, it was a TikTok video. So I pulled the video down and I listened and I've got like, I think five, between five and seven EVPs in this well, UFO I mean, sighting. For, I've got these videos. You know, you know, just to real quick, just to interject here for our listeners, uh, it's very common knowledge in the EVP community that both Rodive and Jurgensen claimed that a lot of the EVPs were in, maybe Sarah Eastep as well, uh, claimed a lot of the EVPs could also be extraterrestrial in origin. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, yeah, Sarah was saying she had something like 2,000 out of her 25,000 or so, as she said, 2,000 were like, uh, you know, uh, uh, that she considered extraterrestrial or extra dimensional, you know, but it, it was so strange. I mean, because I, 
I'm seeing with an increasing frequency on uh, social media, uh, especially like YouTube and uh, Rumble now, uh, I've been keeping a list for the last uh, about eight years of videos where I, I hear EVP. I did a whole show on this you know, about two months ago. And I had, oh, wow. and I just, I could, you know, I, and I played it for people and they were blown away. They're going, you're getting EVP on YouTube videos. I said, nobody screens their audio. They, 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 they get the video all prepped and then they uh, check the audio real quick and they don't run through the whole thing. So most of these people don't realize they've got EVP in their YouTube video. <laughs> there's like an entire yeah, genre of this. Yeah, I mean, the answers are all there. It's just to, to get the people to, to be able to, to see them. You know, it's like yeah. having the answers of a test written on the page and nobody's looking at them, you know? Well, you know, it's funny because I pointed it out to a couple that were doing, um, oddly enough, I, it, it was a, a pair of dumpster divers, a husband, wife team. <laughs> and they seem to attract yeah. all these EVPs. And so I sent them a note and said, Hey, you got EVP in this video, this video, and this video. And they ripped them right down. And I'm like, why did you do that? And then I learned, it's like, you better not say anything. You just better you know, download a copy of it before they remove it. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I've caught about 30 so far of those. Yeah. And it's the strangest thing that you can get EVP on streaming video <laughs> i don't know if you're aware of it but i'm throwing that your way it's like yeah go play with that michael i mean <laughs> you know it's weird it's almost like we need an army of evp researchers to be able to start tackling some of this stuff yeah it's just that it's showing up in the darndest places and um you know and mm -hmm. you've got to know that that they're going to use whatever means they have possible to get through to us but it, it really was something because it was a lot um, Several, several of these were live casts, so it was caught live, and uh, you know, of course, archived off by YouTube. And then I just come, I come bipping along and play it just because I want to be entertained. And I'm like, wait a minute, did I just hear that? That's an EVP. <laughs> it's, funny, it's funny that they ripped them down too. It's, it's it's not even just the government, but it's 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 even elements in the masses are so easily to shut this down based on their beliefs or fears, you know. Yeah, it, um, I, there's nothing to be scared of. It's just a, a voice weighing in, you know. <laughs> well, you know what? The, the, the most dangerous thing in the world is to challenge someone's belief system. You know, you're really playing with fire whenever you do that. I'm yeah. sure you've run into all you right there, for instance. You know, but yeah, it 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 uh, it, it did kind of shock me because uh, when I did that, it, it was just not even a reply back. I just went back to look at the video, and I'm like it's gone. And then I looked at all of, all of the ones I sent them were gone. And I'm like, well, that sucks. And it was kind of a lesson. I just went, you know, I'll save a copy first. And, uh, but I, I have not made the mistake of saying anything to the, uh, the authors about it, but it's kind of a funny thing. You, 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 you notice now that with all this electronic media going on, um, it's becoming increasingly common. And I have a feeling a lot of even television audio, um, we're going to start seeing more of this kind of thing. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's like with Sarah, for instance, you know, the butlers, they were selling her tapes as coffee table uh, um, decorations. Whoa. And uh, I wanted to buy a bunch of them to go through them to, to see what I could find on them. And when they found out that I was going to do it, 
they refused per selling to me and they took them off their site. Whoa. That's weird. But they were selling them. Yeah, they were literally selling them as coffee table enhancements or something to, to decorate your home with Sarah's, you know, like a interesting thing. Oh, that's one of Sarah's steps, reel to reels, you know, you know, open reel tapes. And then I told them, I said, you know, I'd like to buy a hundred or so of them. And can you give me a good price? And my plan is to do this. And I got a letter back from them saying, we're not going to sell to you. And they took them off their site. That is strange. You know, you know, that's the thing that gets me. Uh, we would all do better being able to just openly work with each other because we're all trying to figure out what's going on with this stuff. You it's know, not so you, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I've seen I've seen not invented here syndrome a lot, you know, throughout paranormal research, you know, over the years, and it just, ah, I don't, I don't know. I just I know, it's crazy, right? I, 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 I'm gonna have to talk to um, Sarah's daughter because I, I, I actually have been conversing with her about on the book, and she's really a nice lady, and I'm wondering. Uh, if any of those other other tapes are with her, because I'm yeah. sure Sarah was, you know, running the newsletter and it was super active, you know, right up till, you know, about 2000 or so. And then I joined into, uh, the, them for a while when they were running a newsletter, when it was a pay newsletter, uh, I came into it about 2009, 10 ish. And I got, uh-huh. I got some of the you know, original newsletters you know, on print and, uh, and I mean, I'll give them this, you know, they've got a hell of a resource there and they've done a, an excellent job with the website and all of that. And they've kept all the original materials. And I used a lot of that for my book research. So, I mean, t- you know, kudos to them for that. And, uh, you know, the website and all of that to me, it's, you know, it's like I've started doing a newsletter for EVP for myself, for, you know, interested people who just want to, you know, share ideas and, uh, kind of bring that back, you know, and I'm not, I, I signed up for that. <laughs> you want to be signed up for it? I'll, I'll definitely. Yeah, yeah I'll sign, sign you up that. for that. Yeah, because I, I looked at Sarah's newsletter and I just thought, I am not going to go and get, put a bunch of money on a bunch of software. I'm just going to do it exactly like Sarah did with just pure simplicity, share news between people, and just send it out once a month and just try to get people talking. <laughs> you know? and, and I think a newsletter is ideal because you know it, it's something people look forward to. You know. And, uh, and they're willing to, you know, trade information back and forth. And it's kind of, that's what she did. And she was an excellent, excellent, uh, motivator to get everybody going. And she knew how to kind of stoke the fire, you know, um, she was the, I mean, right after what happened with Jurgensen and, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of lighting a fire under everything, uh, she pops in what, 75, 1975 or so. Yeah. Yeah. She pops in and. Oh immediately just takes command of the whole field. And the next thing you know, she's, she's got the, she's got everybody moving. And, uh, we didn't have a real strong American, uh, pioneer until then, you know, until she came along. Yeah. And I always like the pioneers of EVP were, were, you know, not in the U S. Well, did, I mean, I see her as kind of like, uh, she's the figure I admire most of all of them. And I mean, going back through the whole history, because she was so experimental and, just bringing people in and uh, I've, I've been going back through her experiments and recreating them, you know, like the sleep experiments she did. Um, I actually did some the other, you know, about four or five weeks ago 
And I couldn't believe I was getting EVP while I was asleep. I love, yeah, I've done, I've done those experiments myself. It's like what goes on around me while I'm sleeping, you know, and am I interacting with it? Is there any sleep talk going on? You know? Yeah. No. Well, I, you know, see, I'm glad because I, there's nothing new under the sun. Somebody's always been there before you, but you know, but there's new viewpoints on, on what's out there. You know, that's, that's what's, what's the dynamic about it. Yeah. Is, you know, we're obviously cut of the same ilk and, and our viewpoints really, it's, it's not that they are redundant. It's that they're complementary. you know? Yeah. So what you may experience helps what I'm experiencing and, and vice versa. Well, you know, it was funny because going back through those old newsletters, it was like, you know, I looked at it and went, uh, and I started seeing new, new names that I didn't recognize and started learning, uh, about all these dude personalities and, uh, you know, and I've thrown, uh, some of their stuff into the book. Uh, but, uh, it, to me, it was just like, okay, let's revisit these experiments using modern equipment. You know, no, has anybody done that? And now I find out you had already been there doing that. But, you know, that's the kind of thing I think that kind of, kind of lights a fire under the EVP community is, is let's revisit where we've been and then, uh, you know, take these experiments and what do we build on from here using, you know. Well, the, it's, it's like super, you know, the TV show Supernatural where they had these the, this community of, uh, of demon hunters and they'd all meet at the barns, the, 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 you know, the safe houses and the clubs and stuff. And, and uh, I always wish there was an army of EVP uh researchers that kind of that had that kind of a community you know yeah where you know um because i'm constantly running into people and and, and stuff you know but you have people like you know, like uh, uh chisholm's evps um uh he offered to sell me his entire work for two thousand dollars <laughs> he's out in the netherlands or somewhere and you know i didn't purchase them but i was thinking you know you know where's the commitment you know it's like i wish it was an archive that we could you know that would have been a great purchase if i had somewhere besides my closet to, to take it you know to, to 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 develop it you know if there was a, a community that was strong enough out there yeah it's funny because uh you know i i did a you know when I first started joining the aerospace business, I was a computer operator and I did a lot of work with, uh, you know, nine track libraries. I mean, we had literally tens of thousands of tapes I managed, uh, you know, and I had them across the country and, um, uh, uh, we had telemetry tapes from NASA, you know, spacecraft missions, the whole bit. So, you oh, know, I, I, uh, Hans Kennis, I'm sorry. I, I misspoke. It was Hans Kennis's uh, collection. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, uh, something I've noticed uh, in EVP uh, research, just dealing with people, you know, uh, other paranormal investigators. Uh, I was talking with a friend of mine some, you know, about seven or eight weeks ago. And I said, hey, have you got anything that, you know, maybe you want uh, me to put in the book? And he says, oh, I had them all, but they all, they were all on one disk drive and I lost everything. I've only got a few left. And I went, What? Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, uh, so I, I came back with, you know, when I was, uh, you know, I'm doing half the book is on the history of EVP and where it's going and, and what we've been through. The other part is I'm bringing my IT background in and saying, you know, here's, here's how to do EVP. Here's all the elements of EVP, but not only that, here's what happens after you get EVP. And part of it is to take and say, you know, 
here's how you make sure you don't lose them. You work your ass Brilliant. off to get yeah. these EVPs. I mean, you know, here's some basic data management for you. You know, so I'm hoping that, you know, just to make an impression on some people because God, there's so much good work that just gets lost like that. Oh, it's tragic. It's I know it's frightening, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, you're so right. But, you know, I mean, you, uh, the, that gets me about the guy selling his whole collection for a couple of K. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hans, you know, said, you know, if, if you want, I'll sell you my entire research. I don't know if it was just copies or if he really was just willing to part with it like that. But, you know, it's too bad there's not some cloud or something that that would exist dedicated to, you know, that, you know, cloud library or something. Well, there actually is, um, you know, it's something that uh, I'm going to be uh, kind of speaking to because I I had the same exact thought. And, uh, you know, archive.org. You can create collections. Uh, there's collections everywhere uh, throughout Archive.org. And I've always thought that uh, one way to get everybody together would be to uh, get all these you know, massive EVP collections uh, moved up as collections under there uh, for researchers to be able to trade back and forth. And it's freely available. You just bundle them up and shoot them up to Archive.org, and they're, they're there. Uh, NASA has done that with the whole collection of uh, all of the uh, audio of uh, the Apollo missions and Gemini and your know, Mercury programs. All that stuff is wow. there. So, yeah, send yeah. Me a link to that as well. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you the link to that because you're you're gonna it's gonna blow your mind when you see what's out there. You're just, I mean, when I found out about it about ten years ago with, with Archive Org, I was like, oh my Ooh. god, I had no idea this much was in there, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And uh, I so use it's it like the Gutenberg project. You know about the Gutenberg. Project, oh yeah. Right? I know about Gutenberg. Old tech. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, that's, that's where I found that book, uh, you know, with the Bogoris, uh, you know, uh, account, you know, when you sent me the, the, the whole, the whole, uh, little, uh, tidbit about him, I went out and started looking and it took me a couple of days, but I finally, you know, tracked down this book and it was like, Oh my God, there was all this great stuff in there. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to share it with you, man. I think you're going to another love it. thing on the Gutenberg project is in, and to the listeners too, is, is dig deeply into Emanuel Swedenborg's experiences from the 15 and 1600s. Yeah. Um, he, I well, you know, like, well, you know, Finnegan's wake by James Joyce, that's a huge book on EVP and nobody really realizes it. I've never heard you of know, that. What's that? I've James never, Joyce's uh, Finnegan's wake. No, never heard of it. Oh, the dreamer, he's listening to Irish Radio 1 and 2, and he's getting voices coming over on, the ghost voices coming over on Radio 1 and 2. And the whole book uh, is it's very difficult to read. It starts off in the last half last half of the last sentence. So it reads it around. Yeah. It's like almost 800 pages or whatever. But <laughs> it's all about it's all about ghosts and EVPs. If you, in fact, there's a, there, all, there had been, I don't know how many they've done, the, the, the European symposiums discussing it. Whoa. <laughs> uh-huh. When was this written? Yeah. Uh, Finnegan's Wake, when it was written? I don't know. It was his life's work. It was the last book he, he wrote, you know, after Ulysses and all that. And uh, maybe the 20s. Wow. So much stuff was going on, you know, that people were... <sighs> 
you know, from 18. I know, right? <laughs> you know, well, you know, it, I mean, it's like the stuff with Edison, you know, in 1870. I mean, his mother dies, and Edison is sitting, you know, he's obviously been influenced by spiritualism. I mean, I, I'm still digging deeply into him, and, yeah. and, and, he gets he does the first you know foil basic basically the foil recorder you know and uh and he starts this whole lifelong pursuit and i haven't been able to find any information about when he heard the first stuff but he had to have picked up on something to be that dedicated to getting you know getting the voices it had to have been on the wax recorder or or similar technology that they had i i agree and again i have a strong family tie to all that you know with the uh, with alfred vale and theodore vale yeah and, and and my mother's side of the family the the ones who had the farm the vale farm in effingham yeah um yeah they're a real strong tie he was uh one of my ancestors was his office manager for the you know the same years he was trying to develop that uh, recording device you yeah. know yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, I mean, I was looking, trying to read between the lines with your family history. And by the way, this is how I found Michael. By the way, is I I saw the Effingham, uh, you know, farm tapes, and I was like, "What is this? This is cool." And this is how I found you. And uh, yeah, but it was just so interesting to see that um, your family had this whole connection, you know, right up through to Edison. And you got to wonder were they all talking and. You know, to me, I, I, I just feel like that the, that's what was going on. There was, a, you know, a common interest there. And uh, they were working back and forth, you know. But, you know, to me, your family really helped Edison be successful in getting the voices and talking about them. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, to me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. And there was actually, I don't know if it's on Gutenberg or not, but Theodore has a... Um, uh, a uh, fairly long autobiography he wrote on on his work. I have a hard copy of it that I found decades ago, and it. Um, um, be honest with you, I haven't been able to read through it all yet, but um, it goes into some things. I mean, it's like okay, this is interesting, but. Uh, one of the interesting things too about Alfred, who worked with um, Samuel Morris on the, the, he actually invented the Morris code that we uh, use today. Alfred Vail did, mm -hmm. and gave Morris the the patent on it and um, some other work because uh, kind of got overshadowed by Samuel Morris, who was more of a, I guess. Uh, self-promoter in a way <laughs> <laughs> i think alfred Veld said well if the telegraph isn't going to take care of me i'm going to take care of, it could take care of itself or something like that <laughs> is what he put and um um <laughs> one of the first electronic voice phenomena is actually not a voice which really? is interesting um it's uh it's actually a ghost transmission of the Titanic's SOS on uh, Morse code. That, yeah, I I tr I followed some of that because you had sent me some information about that, but uh, 
And, and it seems like it's something that's a continuing presence. It seems to happen. It's It's been going on, you know, what was it, 20 years after the sinking? They were picking up on right. it. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then they're still actually picking it up. And there's paranormal phenomena that are still going on at the site, which is the craziest thing, you know, after 100 years. <laughs> you know? Kevin Byers, uh, an experimental musician who died this year, actually, or was it last year? Uh, he did a, an experimental album where he went out to the site where the Titanic sunk and using hydrophones recorded the waters above the the uh, sunken Titanic Whoa. and built them into an uh, audio composition. And he did several of them. Um, one was with Touch, the label I'm signed with, but there were several other um, albums that he did on other labels too. You know, it's funny because I, I, I was, I was looking at that in some detail. I'm glad you'd mentioned this because I wrote up a section in the book. I'll have to alter it now, but thank you. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was basically, uh, you know, proposing that kind of a mission to get out there and do that. Now there was a guy back in 2010 that was going to do it. Uh, and you know, with a paranormal team off the East coast somewhere and, uh, caused quite a stink with the family families of uh, the Titanic victims and kind of it, it kind of shut the whole thing down. But I always thought, well, if you put a team in there, that's uh, doing it with very high ethics and, you know, being sensitive to what's going on with the families and that kind of thing, you know, you've got a chance, but the, you know, the problem is the paranormal phenomena are not going to stop. And the other thing is that, you know, the spirits there may want to communicate. So why wouldn't you afford them the opportunity to do that? And has anybody ever thought of being an advocate for them? <laughs> you know, and that's oh, kind of right. well, his albums have nothing to do with the paranormal. He was just doing a purely, you know, uh, compositional um, thing. And we actually had done some talking about trying to capture EVPs over the site and, and mixing them together with his, his work right? before he died. But now that he's dead, that, you know, not going to happen with him but but the, the the point is if you if you look him up and look up his work um i think they're called titanic something um wow but uh yeah you, again like you were talking about with with going through the youtube stuff it'd be interesting to go through his compositions now i'm sure they're you know highly mastered composition so i don't know how much if any evp would be cleaned from it well, but uh, i gave it a pass and wasn't able to do much but maybe you could you know with your ear do something too it's funny because um, uh, yeah there's a whole bunch of uh underwater raw audio that i did manage to locate uh from missions down to the you know, the bottom with the titanic that i i've kind of parked it away just to to say, okay, I'm going to get to that one of these days in my infinite free time of which I have none. But, um, but the audio is there. There is raw audio you can get a hold of on the internet, uh, from Titanic, from, uh, submersibles. And it's even got the background noise enough that I think it would be, uh, there's stuff in there. Uh, but it's literally, you know, many, many hours of, uh, audio that you would have to go through. But I, I would tend to think there's stuff there. You know. I uh, I bought a hydrophone maybe ten or fifteen years ago, a decent hydrophone, and uh, it started out. I was doing a uh, 
um, I did a concert and a uh, exhibit in uh, uh, Östersund, Sweden. And there's a lake there that Vikings had written stones around this lake about this um, um, underwater monster. Right. And uh, Jana Winderen, who's a, a experimental musician and a field recordist, and I went out in the middle of this frozen lake and drilled holes in the lake and dropped hydrophones in there actually listening for for these um, this this deep sea monster that these Vikings had talked about, you know. Whoa. This lake monster. And it's it's on the internet somewhere, but uh, <laughs> but I went out and bought a hydrophone. And been collecting EVP from underwater for a while, but but also above water too. I did just a year ago or so. I went out to this pirate's cave outside Cabo and uh, did a bunch of recordings above water and got a ton of stuff. Yeah, um, that is cool. I, I mean, know, right? Did Did you actually get underwater? Because I did a I did a piece on my website about underwater EVP and you know it's something that I'd like to get to be able to do. Um, but I mean, it sounds like I mean you actually have caught them. You've got underwater. Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> I did uh, the Eastland disaster at the Chicago River when the boat tipped over and all those people died. Yeah. And for the centennial of that, uh, a few years ago, I did a couple concerts at the Bohemian National Cemetery where a lot of the victims are buried. Yeah, in their uh, their church slash crematorium, and I did a few shows that I captured EVPs from the point in the uh, river, Chicago River, where where the boat tipped over and they drowned. I dropped my hydrophone in there and uh, and captured decent EVPs off that. Wow, that you can find on Bandcamp. Actually, it's a little hidden. Uh, the only way you could get a recording of that is to buy the T-shirt, the concert shirt that went with it. It had a code in it, yeah, and you could download it for free. But if you uh, go to Bandcamp and look up Phantom Shirt Yard, you can hear those recordings for free on there. All right, I, I will. I'll, I'll definitely put that on the on the show page too because I always update after we do these these uh, oh, okay, yeah, it's shows. The Eastland disaster. You know, it's funny because. Um, you know, speaking of, you know, I mean, strange environments to do recordings in. I mean, you know, you and I have both played around with this, but uh, me being in the spacecraft business all these years, I, I kind of had a natural inkling to go, well, what did NASA run into with all the early missions? And I began going back and uh, found out that there had been EVP picked up and strange voices and, you know, different things. I don't remember which Apollo mission it was, but they were behind the moon and were hearing music. And things that they couldn't explain. Where, where in the hell is this coming from? You know, and See, uh, you've mentioned it a couple of times, but I've always wanted to get more into the extraterrestrial side of EVP too. Yeah, it's well, you know, it's funny. Um, I I got thinking about it, and I I I saw that um, the most recent lander. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the Mars lander that just landed uh, last year. Not Curiosity. It was the other one. Yeah, uh, but it landed, uh, what, January of 2021, I think it was. And, um, uh, but some months before that, uh, they did an audio test inside the uh, spacecraft as it was, you know, en route to Mars. And they 
made it public. So I thought, well, let me check that for EVP. And I do. And it, um, and it was so heavily filtered and washed out. I mean, it was cleaner in a baby's bottom. I mean, this just, <laughs> you know, there was nothing there. And I thought, well, NASA like that, right? <laughs> well, they basically NASA, uh, is well aware this stuff does happen on, you know, and they were getting it early on in the early missions. And so I thought, well, there's got to be something early that I can get a hold of that. Uh, and I, I happened to look and there was a Soviet Venusian lander that, you know, that landed on uh, in the 1970s or early 80s. I can't remember which, but uh, it landed on uh, Venus and they got like several minutes of audio. So I pulled it down and I pulled an EVP off it, <laughs> which I'm like, what the hell? On Venus. And then I kind of got thinking, you know, the, the scientists in me kind of went, wait a minute, could it have been contamination introduced after the fact? But, but you know, that's the kind of thinking we need, you know. It's like I'm going, well, we got an extraterrestrial EVP. That's the damnedest thing. You know, I mean, at least we're on the right track, even if it's explained away. Um, yeah, but it definitely had all the characteristics, you know. I'll send you the, the, the link to that, too, when I send you my care package of stuff. And... uh See what you think, you know. Oh uh, yeah, please do. Yeah, because uh, well, you know, it'd be interesting if they were able to do uh, audio recordings on the surface of Mars. If you know, they claim it's possible that there had been uh, uh, life forms there. If, if there could be anything captured, well, you on know, the surface of a planet. That yeah, absolutely. Because I, I, well, you see all the there's a, like a whole ecosystem of people that you know, you know go around looking at uh, all the pictures and they see architecture everywhere. And right. to a certain degree, I, I look at it and I go, yeah, but at the same time, there's some of it that you look at and you go, that's an awfully strange shape that to be just a random thing. Uh, you right. know, nature doesn't do some of this stuff. And, and I've gone back out on the uh, NASA sites and pulled these things up and went, there's something there. So, you know, yeah, Mars had a full-blown ocean, full-blown, uh, you know, uh, oxygen, nitrogen atmosphere for a, quite a long time, and I'm I'm thinking that life is kind of the natural order of things with a, a lot of the inner planets across the galaxies. You know, the, I mean, there's trillions of planets that are Earth-like. So yeah, why not? I oh, mean, yeah. Why not? Why Although, wouldn't there be life? When you life? consider every star we see in the sky, every star that's out there is a sun, you know. Yeah, it's a place. Every sun has its planetary system to it. It's, how could you not, just through the, the numbers, just through the logic of it, not, in, you know, realize that there's some state of of growth and evolution that, that spans those those planetary systems. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny, the... Uh... The, all of the modern audio coming out of NASA is so heavily filtered. I mean, because I went through it all, uh, especially mm -hmm. uh, like the helicopter. Uh, you know, they got the Martian helicopter that's flying around the, the new rover. And, um, you know, I went through all that audio and it's like, it's just clean. I, you know, I'll send you the links to it too and you see what you think. But, it, you know, I ran it through my stuff and it's like, there's nothing there. So they're, they're obviously filtering it. And they, 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 they know that this stuff is out there. There's obviously phenomena happening. I mean, when I'm getting EVP in an aircraft, uh, you know, I'm up in the air and I'm still getting these things. You know, uh, you know I just don't know. I, I think that there's a lot more 
uh, going on than we're ever going to be told by the government. Uh, and they, they want to hold their own view of it and kind of keep it to themselves. But, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just saying, you know, if I were them, you know, I'd probably have that view, but, but I've always said, I've always said that, you know, we're an audio engineer. Their noise is our signal. Our signal is their noise, you know, where they're cleaning all the, the hiss and, and white and pink noises out of, out of recordings. That's, that's our, yeah. Gold, you know. Yeah, they wash it so clean. It's like they lose it loses all of the uh the fascinating elements of it. I I would love to see if they ever, you know, uh provide raw audio they haven't washed, you know. <laughs> it would be nice. Right, but, exactly. Or if you can get a hold of it, some archive in NASA or some guy sitting at a desk has access to it or something, you know. Well, you know, I I've, I've been retired since 2017. I had a lot of uh, connections there, but um you know, that's all changed, you know. I mean, one oh, year, yeah. one year away, and it's completely different. But, but um, I would absolutely believe that's all there. You know, there's still there's stuff still showing up though, because um, I, I found a whole set of collections of really great audio from Apollo uh, sitting there on Archive Org, and I've been going through it, and uh, I'm looking for specifically for the uh, sections with the uh, voices that were heard and the singing that was heard, you know, behind the moon, because they've got the audio of that. And, uh, there's transcripts of it. So, you know, that's what I'm looking for to see, you know, can we find this and talk about it, you know, from an EVP point of view and, um, you know, what do we got here? You know, <laughs> so it's, it, the, the thing is, is the sky's the limit with EVP. I mean, if you, you, if you see something that you think there's potential for, go for it, check it out. You know, oh, yeah. nobody's going to laugh I mean, at you I mean, in this field. Discrimination too. Like, I was thinking, oh, that'd make a great album, you know, and, it, and it's, you know, the singing on the other side of the moon. And it, one of the things experimental music, one of the things they're not afraid of is, is putting out there something that's not top 40 stuff. This is, you know, difficult music to, to, to say the least, Yeah, you know, but it's actually, though it is a commercial representation, it's a dissemination that I found I could get the research of EVP out there, yeah. you know, in people's hands that are into experimental or industrial music, and you know, they they could get exposure to it with with real life samples. So yeah. I'm real careful about my albums about keeping them historically driven. Like I'm doing one now with a, a fellow, uh, um, Mauricio Reyes, who's a famous uh, Mexican. Uh, experimental musician and we're doing a piece uh based on william s burroughs the beat writer and uh we're doing using evps i captured at his grave site and and we're building this whole composition around how burroughs felt that his cut-ups that he did you know for his writing his poetry and stuff him and uh, byron geisen that his cut-ups, EVP was actually the natural extension of his cut-ups. And he's got some lectures he did at university stuff, Whoa. and we've been in contact with the Burroughs Foundation to get permissions. And and actually, once it's done, Burroughs may actually be listed as a, as a main artist on the album. <laughs> Whoa. Well, <laughs> but but if you if you go on YouTube, 
<clears throat> you type in William S. Burroughs and EVP. Yeah. Uh, he'll talk about talking with uh, Rod Ive personally and stuff and, and how he, uh, uh, he worked with and he, he believed that electronic voice phenomena was an extension of the cut-ups, you know, where he would take any document whatsoever and they would cut them into pieces and then rearrange or just randomly arrange them into a new piece of work. And it would, uh, and yeah. EVP would come out of that? No, what he would, was saying that the nature of electronic voice phenomena is the actual natural extension of, you know, divination or, or what have you to oh, the cut-ups. So okay. if you look at the structure of EVPs, how we get fragmentary uh, uh, selections of, of random words or phrases or sentences or yeah, partial gotcha. sentences and how they, they link together, they really have a very same physical construct as the cut-ups. Yeah, it's kind of like the I Ching uh, when the uh, exactly the so uh, Japanese. By I Ching. Sure. Yeah, the Japanese were using the I Ching as uh, you know, to direct their war strategy, and uh, they were winning with it until they uh, they ran into uh, you know opposition there in, within the government. Uh, they they basically. Uh, said no you can't do that anymore that's not scientific and it turned out that right. it was actually very scientific it was actually a, a winning strategy and it's a, there's a principle behind it that's you know rather powerful and um you know and i i always thought that was amazing you know they shot themselves in the foot over over trying to be modern clearly <laughs> yeah but um but, yeah. Uh, yeah but if yeah take a look at burroughs um uh, you'll be amazed at what he has to say and and the album's actually going to have cut out phrases and stuff. I was actually going through a question answer period yesterday of one of those lectures and, and uh, calling pieces, uh, relevant pieces out of that. That's cool. And then <laughs> and what I'm going to do, I'm also going to run them as a reverse voice phenomena and see if there's anything that comes through in reverse speech. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you know the work by, um, um, uh, oh, what's his name? I did that album measurement with him. Uh, um, who out of Australia? Who runs a reverse speech phenomena? Um, with his theories. Um, oh, good God! I can't think of his name. I have the same problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, but if you look up reversespeech.com, it's his website. He, yeah, I know. Who kind you of. Mean. Yeah. Yeah, the, it, it's funny, you know, the whole thing with, uh, you know, you talking about the cut-ups and that kind of thing and, and structure emerging out of randomness. I mean, it really, I'm just going to use that word again. I'm going to just say fractal and uh, chaos right, theory. Exactly. You know, there's just, right. uh, there's some order that arises out of that, that people just, just, it just blows their minds when they're first exposed to that. And I think that there's an element of that in some of, you know, in EVP. That shows oh up. yeah, I, I think if EVP researchers don't realize this, this is quantum physics, then, then they're selling themselves short. Yeah, you know what, what the research is is a quantum physical science. Yeah, it's 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 such a you know the thing that gets me is when you have novel new phenomena in science that they can't quite understand and they rebel against you know, at first, and then there's the, the I guess the old theory is first they you know they crucify efforts you know even talking about it, then, uh, then they start to open up to it and then it suddenly becomes self-evident. 
and yeah, I think they crucify you, then celebrate your death later on. Yeah, and then after that, they teach it in all the schools, and uh, you know, expect right. you to learn it by rote, you know. <laughs> but I do. I think that that's going to get to a certain point because it, you know the bulk evidence that we have is so compelling, and so many of us have been doing this work uh, for so many years. I mean, it's going to get to a point. I think that um, you can't deny that we're getting something. You know, the pseudoscience right. label and just doesn't. Humanistic in quality, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, pseudo, the pseudoscience label does not fly anymore. And Wikipedia, I mean, you know, they're the worst. I mean, I, I, I look at them and I've tried to make corrections and say, come on, guys, you know, there's stuff happening here. And it's just immediately this militant response. No, it's pseudoscience. <laughs> you know, yeah, why is it the enlightened are the most in the dark? <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I just think it's more about research grants and funding. <laughs> right. You know, money talks, man, you know, and, uh, but I, I just have a feeling it's going to get to a point somewhere. There will be a breakthrough where this, this can't be denied anymore. And, uh, we're just the shock troops still slogging through it saying, yeah, this is here. Yeah. Deny this, it's you know, there's yeah. gotta be a path through the tour somewhere. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we're kind of coming up. We've kind of gone through two hours there, my friend. Um, uh, Over, I think, right? <laughs> well, well uh, I'll just ask a couple of final questions of you just to kind sure. of um, – I'm looking at the notes here I've got. I'm going to look at uh, – there was one I, – I, uh, I was happened to be looking at a video that you – of somebody that filmed you at a uh, EVP uh, conference – and you were talking about a paranormal investigation you went on with spitting teddy bears and teddy bears on fire. <laughs> oh, uh, that's actually, uh, I didn't, those, those are from the Sally house. Okay. Uh, that's what the, the guy living there experienced. And uh, that's a crazy place. I was just there uh, not too long ago uh, for uh, sci-fi television and uh, was a month ago or two. Wow. And Talk about timing. That place is just, yeah. That's when uh, Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures ran out of scared. That place is really terribly messed up. That's where the uh, blue and the gold will catch the light EVP came from with the Irish Irish uh, uh, girl. Um, oh. Yeah, which is interesting because a lot of stuff is, you know, the wonderful thing about EVP is you get so much information out of it. You get, you know, geo political location you get age you can get you know eco uh economic uh um position in life i mean you can get time zone that it may come from as far as the the types of words and diction that they use yeah um it, there's so much information that comes from a piece of evp that that can't be ignored or shouldn't be ignored I've got and, that um, here. If you want to play yeah. that, you want me to play that? Yeah, sure, yeah this sure. is the blue and the gold. Um, let me go ahead and pull it up. Whoa. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could definitely tell she has a slight Irish bro. You could tell that she's younger. You could tell, you know, there's so much information in that EVP. And that EVP is interesting too, because it, it it turned out um, where we were filming with Amy Allen um, and we ran a bunch of experiments um, 
using light filters and stuff of blue and gold light filters. The EVP itself became a sort of a mystery to be solved. It almost became a life onto its own. You know, that's wild. Well, those are high spiritual colors too. I mean, you're dealing with, uh, chakras. Yeah. And there was all kinds of tests we were running. We were running chakra tests and, uh, and you're right. It's, it's, uh, you're exactly right. That's what happened to it. And it's interesting that the EVP in itself actually attained its own life, you know. Um, That is cool. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I've got the Marcus Dreaming. I mean, we were, you know, because we'd been talking about that. I think that's the one where you had the, yeah, yeah, why don't we play that and just speak to that again. Here we go. That's a great EVP. (laughs) That's my uncle. yeah, it's great in the sense that it goes along the lines of of a strong family and blood connection. Because I really think that we share in a blood relationship, we share like energies. That explains things like past life memories and and um, a whole foray of uh, deja vu and you know all kinds of things can can be explained with like bloodline like energy you know yeah it just because uh, when we're born we don't really just receive dna from our family tree but i believe we also receive fragments of energy of memory from our entire bloodline yeah well i i would believe that i would believe that it it follows you know families around it's kind of like what what you know finding tracing my uh familial um psychic stuff going on i i found out in my research i I had no idea that i had four different indian tribes in me (laughs) including you know you know i've got cherokee ottawa indian and uh what uh ojibwe and eastern sioux you need to hit the reservations man yeah but (laughs) but, old, old tribal villages but you know it was my cherokee grandmother on uh you know this is on my mother's side uh was the one that basically kind of was the source of all of this going through the whole family and, and all my, all my different relatives from that side have different gifts, you know, and, Mm -hmm. uh, it was just neat to see how it followed through, you know, and, and these things follow us around, but, um, it's great to map that, isn't it? It's, it's the ability to map that family history. Well, yeah, you know, with the genetics of the ancestry.com and, and all that big, uh, play on, uh, you know, the Mormons, uh, um, collecting uh, uh, family tree and genetic. Um, um, yeah, I heard it was the largest building in the United States. Was their uh, their uh, ancestry warehouse, their ancestry buildings, where they they decided they were going to baptize everyone living and dead, <laughs> and they started collecting genetic information and family tree information on on family lights, and it just blossomed to. To this incredible database of of, of family uh, tree of family uh, lineage. Yeah, I found I, I, using ancestry and newspapers dot com. I found uh, the whole history of you know multiple of you know the psychic members of my family, and uh, you know, and I've got. I'll send you a link on one uh, one from my website with one of those, which was just blew awesome, my mind. Yeah. But it was because uh, I had a professional medium in the family named Peggy York. And she she had read for Frank Frank Sinatra and all this, and none of my family would ever talk about it. Uh, 
you know, on one part, one specific branch of the family on my mother's side would not talk about it because they were afraid of it all. And so it was a big hush hush thing. And I had not realized in the seventies, I grew up with her only 15 miles away from me. And I was having all these experiences. And here's the woman who I'm directly related to blood related to who could have helped me with a whole bunch of stuff, you know, and she, she died what in (laughs) 1993, but, but it was like, that's, it's just amazing how it falls through. And, and, now all this information's at our fingertips and I, it was just a miracle to find it all, you know? So for, for the Mormons, I've, I say, thank you, you know, for that, <laughs> you know, having all yeah, that information. It's, a, it's an amazing byproduct. And, and, um, uh, it is, I mean, what they've done is, is phenomenal. And, and regardless of their intentions, the, the, the quality and the, uh, yeah. the, the depth of their work is, is absolutely so amazing. Um, I've got two more of yours you sent. Uh, there's the, they don't bleed and there's this CLP pain every day. Which one? Uh, they don't bleed is actually, um, they don't bleed is from the Sally house too. Uh, one of the, the people that lived there that went through the, the flaming teddy bears and the burning rose and all that. You can actually, if you go to sallyhouse.com, I think there's a website on, on the Sally house in Atchison, Kansas, yeah. which oddly enough is where they take in the Potawatomies from Indiana and Michigan and stuff. They marched them all down to Atchison, Kansas and tried to res- put them on a reserve where that house is sitting on that side of the river. And uh, the Indians refused to uh, to settle there and said the, uh, the ground was tainted, was bad there. And they actually settled the reservation on the other side of the river. You know, the strangest thing, you know, we're here, we are talking about uh, places that were, you know, my family is from, I was mentioning them, uh, that side of the family, they were from Atchison. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> that's not surprising. Yeah. That's, uh, that's an eye opener. <laughs> well, here, we'll play that, that don't, they don't bleed. So let's play that. Whoa. That's a good, that's a good one. Let me play that again. Yeah, that's a good, that's a, that's a very good EVP. Yeah. Who is it that doesn't bleed though? That's what I'd like to know. Yeah. That's, that's the amazing thing about like EVPs that also that throws up a million questions, you know? Yeah. I've got, um, the CLP pain. What is this one? All right. That one, that's a band. Um, the, I would, I just threw that in as a, it's, um, the, the EVPs have found, their way into a lot of um, popular mediums and media. And uh, um, that's actually a, a track, a hip-hop song, right? Experimental hip-hop. Okay. That they used my EVPs from uh, Emmett Till's grave. Um, David Diggs, who's uh, in that movie Snowpiercer, or the TV show Snowpiercer, yeah, and he was in Blackish, and he was in Hamilton. I mean, very famous uh, actor and, and musician has an experimental hip hop band called Clipping, and uh, they contacted me uh, to provide them for some EVP for uh, one of their tracks off of one of their newer albums, and uh, that I recorded from Emmett Till's gravesite, which is pretty close to me. And uh, they built the the whole track uh, using the EVP and stuff. 
Well, I probably won't. Probably. Yeah. yeah, it's a whole track, though. I wouldn't play yeah. that one right now, but yeah, um, it's uh, um, yeah, very cool how the you know different um, venues this has this gotten into to be able to uh, you know because I, I was very concerned about okay, well, I'm getting all this stuff, but there's got to be some way to help disseminate my research and my work into mainstream media. Yeah. I think you hit on the right. I think you hit the right formula with it. Get it out there to people because kids are listening to music, you know, and and adults and they're going to, they'll look at this and it'll be like, wait a minute. You're you're saying that's spirit talking. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It could be Emmett. You know, what the hell? Yeah. Well, you know, I'll I'll definitely, uh, I'll see if I could find a link to that. Maybe that's on the web someplace at CLP and just point people to it. Um, there's a, there's some YouTube videos and stuff. Okay. I'll do that. Well, Hey, um, you know, I've taken up enough of your night, my friend. And, uh, I, I, I would say, I would agree with you. We are kindred spirits. (laughs) (laughs) Two of a kind. Definitely same cloth. Well, um, uh, but, uh, what are you, what, it, we'll just kind of wrap up with what do you got planned for the immediate future? I mean, you're working on this album and well, uh, what other things album. are you thinking about in the future? And, uh, and, uh, you know, where do people, uh, find you if they want to learn more? Um, <clears throat> they, um, I just got back from, um, <clears throat> Salem and I, my family uh, arrived in this country on my mother's side, the Vale family. In 1640, 20 years after the Mayflower in Salem, and they left right around 1690 uh, during the, the the witchcraft trials, and uh, got out of town <laughs> and founded uh, went to, to Long Island, New Jersey, where that's where they got hooked up eventually with uh, with um, um, with uh, Edison and uh, Samuel Morris. And uh, I, I want to go through that, and I want to do a piece based on, on Salem. I'd recorded down at Proctor's Ledge and uh, Witch House and a couple of the, the typical spots. Um, so I need to work on that. I've got a couple of releases I've got to get finished to get out. Um, I plan on a trip to England around September to record at the sound mirrors, like around red car and stuff with Addie Newton from clock DVA. Okay. And, uh, that those are the sound mirrors they use to, uh, they put them, there was a big convex cement structures in world war one that they put a microphone in to be able to pick up attacks by Zeppelins, you know, super quiet. Yeah. And the way that the structures work and, and there's some in red, Red car and some other towns in England and along the coast. And uh, the idea is to record in them to try and see if we capture EVP. It's more of a, a physical thing, you dude, know, uh, technical. Dude, you are doing some cool stuff. <laughs> I want to, <laughs> I want to stay in touch with you, man. You're, you're, you're right up my alley. So. Gosh, I mean, it's it's been a pleasure having you on. And, oh, it's been a pleasure being on your show. You're brilliant. It's, it's, I can't believe we haven't bumped into each other before, but it, it also doesn't surprise me, too. You know, 
Well, you know, uh, you are definitely going to be asked back if you are willing to come in. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we will. It's easily a three hour plus show, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you and I can talk forever and, uh, yeah, it's just the, the limit of what I think the streamers are going to listen to, but, but, uh, thank you so much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I will, uh, and I'll definitely remember that we talk on Facebook using the Facebook comms. That worked great. So, uh, well, Hey, uh, you have a great rest of your night. Um, I'll put the show out and, uh, send you the links for everything so yeah. you can advertise that wherever you're going to be at uh oh know. and if people want to look me up just type in michael esposito evp into google i'm like the first 26 pages or so okay yeah they'll, they'll find you all over and uh, you're on facebook yeah. too so right right as well yeah. okay well hey uh thank you again and uh you know you have a great rest of your your month or wherever and wherever you're going and with all the things you're planning and we'll have you back John, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, man. Okay. Same here, buddy. Okay. You take care of yourself. Bye. Okay. Bye now. All right. That was uh, Michael Esposito and a uh, really neat guy. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it was one of those interviews that uh, I just uh, really, really enjoyed. <laughs> And, uh, we were two guys that were, uh, from basically the same world. And, uh, uh, he's had a lot more, uh, world travel experience and seen a lot of really cool things. And, um, uh, really is tied in with a lot of people that are doing, uh, amazing EVP and paranormal research. And, uh, so yeah, um, actually let me, let me get back on camera here. Um, uh, there we go. Hi, you guys. So anyway, yeah, uh, I will try to get him back sometime, probably in the fall. F, uh, preferably after he does his super duper big mic recording there in uh, uh, England with the big ears, you know, that he was uh, talking about at the end there. Um, but uh, what a neat person. Lots and lots of links there on the show page for you guys. And uh, I am going to contact him. I did forget to ask him about putting those uh, four EVPs on that we got from him that I played on the show. So I'm going to Seek permission from him to do that. Put those up so you guys can listen to those at your uh, leisure. And, uh, you know, definitely uh, uh, really want to see those out there. I think they, they'll add a, a little bit to the page. Uh, and he, you know, I sent him, uh, in case he's listening right now, uh, Mike, I sent you everything I promised you. So you got pretty much everything I uh, I could think of. And I'll throw a few more things in, in this week while I'm thinking about it. So anyway, we're going to go ahead and close it down. Uh, let me get the music going. But uh, anyway, we've had a wonderful show tonight. Uh, ran a little longer than normal. Uh, it was just the, the nature of the subject matter and uh, the individual who had plenty of cool stuff to say. Uh, and it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, that was Michael. So what a great guest. And we will see you guys next week. We're going to be talking about Atlantis and... Uh, let me uh, take a look at one other thing. Uh, there it is. Uh, give you just an idea of some of the subjects coming up. Uh, we're looking at uh, shows in the future. The Secrets of the Vatican Library. Uh, we're looking at the med beds. Have you guys heard of the med beds? Yeah. And uh, we're going to be looking at the Lost Library of Alexandria and where some of that might have ended up. 
uh, Antarctica anomalies. That's in our future. The Eye of the Sahara. How many of you have ever heard of that? It's got a direct connection to Atlantis. So we're going to be doing two Atlantis-type shows. Uh, a Salnicosia, uh, a uh, hotelier with a uh, wonderful uh, wonderful hotel that was in uh, New York, in Napanock. Uh, going to do a rebroadcast of him in the near future. And uh, again, uh, just saying, next week we've got uh, Sharon Day with uh, uh, Atlantis and Lemuria. So... We will see you guys uh, again next week, and you guys take care. Have a great rest of your night, and happy 4th of July coming up. Bye now.